Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We are here on the Oz Network to start a new month of Canada and Australia. I don't want to call it Canada versus Australia anymore, Australia versus Canada. Um, I do. Because, <laughs> of course, Ben does. <laughs> As the country that gets taken over in the film we're covering today, he's feeling combative. Yeah. <laughs> like he wants to go to battle. Patriotic today. Come on. Uh, and it's Australia Day in this film, apparently, or at some point during Ooh, this film. Careful, so. careful around that, Colin. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'll be careful. <laughs> I'll be dead. I don't know. Um, but uh, we are talking about tomorrow when the war began. Did I get that right? You did, Colin. Correct. Well done. Thank you. You win We're a free country. <laughs> Red Dawn AU here on <laughs> the Oz <laughs> Network. Uh, young adult film from 2010 uh, that I knew nothing about. And other than Ben telling me they made a movie of it and then they made a miniseries of it, but the book was better. Uh, and I had no idea this movie was written and directed by somebody who's very well known in Hollywood or at least fairly successful in Hollywood and just decided to go back to Australia. Um, and then a couple of the actors throughout this movie, I'm like, I kind of recognize them. What have I seen them in? I'm like, oh, I probably saw them in this one thing ever. But there's one actor I'm very excited about. Uh, but yeah, this is, I guess, right before the big craze of young adult and Hunger Games and Maze Runner and Divergent and all the other big ones. Uh, but uh, it, it was the first Australian one, and that's all that matters. My name is Colin, and you know at Chris's house the other day when I was playing with your hair? I thought you might have forgotten. Never, Colin. I would never forget about that. And my name is Ben, and I feel different somehow, like a real woman. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this movie, I don't know how much I was supposed to identify with... Um, uh, the, the lead characters in this film. <laughs> There's a lot of talk of boys and stuff like that. Uh, it's it's interesting. I, I I guess I'll just start off by saying I, I really didn't know what, what to expect other than that it sounded a lot like Red Dawn. And I start watching it and I'm like, I, I really don't think I've ever seen the original Red Dawn. I just saw the remake, the one that had Chris Hemsworth in it, which was okay. Uh, and I definitely get the same vibes from this movie. Um, now, having said that, this is obviously, we're doing Australian Canadian films where... We don't necessarily have the budgets for, you know, big Hollywood blockbusters. And when we get big movies like this, you can sometimes tell, oh, I bet you they wish they had had like, you know, I don't know, $10, 20000000 million more. But uh, still, it's not bad. I feel like this this movie would have been a great jumping off place for a trilogy. They had actually had the balls to continue on with it. Yeah, well, I'm sure we will talk about it, but uh, it was the plan. Uh, there were lots of plans around this because, yeah, I mean, a couple of things like it is a rarity, like I think you talked about that with some of the Canadian films we've done, that it's sort of like a blockbuster like this kind of, it almost feels like a Hollywood movie, this uh, mm -hmm. type of movie, because Australian movies are similar to kind of what you've generally said about Canadian movies. They're more sort of arty, uh, I guess, mm -hmm. and it's it's rare. I mean, you can think of a few occasions where they've done a blockbuster. I mean, technically Australia in two weeks is a, 
Australian blockbuster film, but that's obviously got a huge Hollywood connection to it. We're kind of stretching it a little mm. bit by doing Australia as an Australian movie. But I think that this was a unique beast, and I feel the Tomorrow series deserved this type of take. And I remember when this came out, I was very, very excited. This was a book series that I'd read most of it as a kid. I mean, I think most Australians of my age read these books in the 90s. Um, John Marsden is a is an extremely well-known author in this country for young adult fiction. And, I mean, this, again, was pre-Hunger Games. It was pre-Harry Potter. You know, it was mm-hmm. sort of early to mid-90s. This was the biggest book series in Australia, basically, for, you know, young young teenagers, basically. Younglings. Younglings. Uh, Killing other younglings. Kills well. That's what I was going to ask you off air. Did you watch The Mandalorian this week? No, I haven't seen any oh, of it Oh, there's a massive cameo in it, which but I hope you, you point out. I, I, I heard about somebody who was going to be in it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I actually had a dream just this morning about watching The Mandalorian and the cameo I think is going to be in it. They broke into a song and dance. <laughs> and I'm like, I bet you people are going to hate Not this, quite. but I love it. <laughs> but like, like, like uh, off tangent, because obviously this episode is a couple of weeks removed from that episode and we can talk about it on a Patreon. But like, I hadn't seen, I hadn't been spoiled about the cameo. So when I'm watching it and I see it, I'm like, is that? insert name here yeah and i google i'm like it is <laughs> just like, it's like wow that's an awesome cameo from random actor anyway um but yeah so like i i remember when they announced this film very excited i saw this i'm pretty sure opening day and really enjoyed it and i think that this is it's, look it's probably been 20 years since i've read the novel but from what i do remember of the novel like this is very close to the book i i don't think there's a lot in this movie that isn't in the book. This is one of the most, uh, you know, true depictions of a book that I think I've ever seen. Um, And I think, like, it's definitely got some issues and some plot holes and things like that that are a bit like, okay. But honestly, I forgive a lot of it because this is an Australian movie. Like, if this was a Mm. Hollywood movie, I think you'd be questioning it a lot more. But because Australians don't really make movies like this, I feel like we nail the landing mostly. And I've never seen Red Dawn. I've never seen either versions. And I know when this got released, a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, this is just like Red Dawn, which it's kind of like, well, it's basically the plot of the novel anyway. And yes, I realize the novel was what? Red Dawn's like early 80s. So the novel is 10 years removed from Red Dawn. So I get the comparisons. But I think it it does a very solid job for a a book uh, adaptation, which is pretty accurate to the source material. And for an Australian type of movie like this with a budget, I mean, $27 million in Australia like probably a $200 million American film. Um, So, yeah, I think all things considered, and I had probably watched this movie in probably a decade either. So this is, what, now 13 years old. Holds up pretty well as well. And the TV miniseries, it was okay, but this is still, to me, way better than the TV miniseries. We can talk about the issues with the TV miniseries throughout this movie. Um, We we kind of do this month, and every single time we do this month, we'll put that disclaimer in there, I guess, for people who aren't as familiar with Canadian and Australian movies or even some Canadians and Australians that aren't familiar with, you know, the reasons why we don't have these massive hundred million dollar blockbusters. And it really just has to do with how many tickets you can sell. Yeah. You know, when your population of Australia and Canada is one tenth of the United States, you can really justify spending one tenth of the budget. So a large budget Canadian film or Australian film would be 20, $25 million. Uh, If you had made a $50 million version of this, which probably would have brought it up to standards with other young adult films, like American films, that would be like the equivalent of like Avatar's budget. You know, it's just, it's it's unrealistic. And the only way you can really make even a 20 or $30 million movie like this is if you know you're going to have good 
international distribution. This movie will get released in America or the UK or uh, other places overseas, which isn't as common for like our domestic movies. So it basically means most of the movies that we make are 10, 15 million dollars. And even then it's like, well, you're probably not going to recover your budget. Uh, which is unfortunate. I know that there's been a lot of a talk uh, here in Canada since the Oscars because obviously women talking no longer qualifies a Canadian film simply because it had an American studio and producers backing it, even though everything else about the movie was Canadian. And a lot of the talk, uh, even through some of the other films that uh, won some Oscars that I didn't even know were Canadian, was that all of our Canadian filmmakers basically have to go to Hollywood to get any recognition, which is kind of unfortunate. And I feel like when we get to Australia, that's going to be one of the interesting things about that is that you had somebody who went to Hollywood and they sort of came back and said, I'll do a hybrid, you know? Mm. And I, I wish that we had that a little bit more, like use some of the, like Denis Villeneuve, like, you know, he won three best pictures here in Canada before he started making American movies. And now he's making the Dune movies, you know, hope one day he decides to pull a Baz Luhrmann and come back to Canada and make a big Canadian epic. But I mean, again, you watch a movie like this and you do have to keep that in the back of your mind. They're not going to be able to make this as big or as spectacular as you'd hope it would be. But I feel like the fact that, like you're saying, this sticks to the novel. This is the way a novel would be. It'd be written from the point of view of just characters. So you're not necessarily going to be seeing invasions and stuff like that. It's going to be a much smaller contained story. And that's, and I'll just say this right now that you brought that up. That's my issue with the TV series versus the movie is because what makes the novel so unique is this is told purely from the perspective of the teenagers. You never really learn who the invaders are. You never know what country they are. You don't really get to know the people behind the invasion. It's always kept very mysterious. I think we've talked about Skyline before. What I really enjoy about that movie is I've not seen the sequels, but at least from the first one, you see it purely from the survival perspective. Greenland, like we've talked about mm -hmm. movies like that where it's got a sense of mystery about it. And the TV series took that away. They basically created an entire plot line on the invading country. They don't specifically say who the country is, but one of the main characters is like the general of the country and he's sort of explaining why they're doing it. Now, I get it. It's a TV series. They've got to extend it out a little bit more. You know, it's six hours versus a, you know, a, a hundred minute movie. So mm -hmm. I understand you've got to add plot points to it and I get why they do it. But I think that's where the TV series really kind of lacked, whereas this kind of gets to the point and gets to me what the novels are about. So I, I think that's kind of where, you know, this works. Um, and I think kind of going back to your point about, and, and again, we've talked about this sort of with Australian and Canadian movies. I'm pretty sure it's the same in Canada. Australians, like, if an Australian movie is released, we're not like, oh, yeah, Australian movie, go support our industry. We're generally mm -hmm. just like, oh, that's crap. That's not Star Wars. That's not Marvel. Like, you know, we're, yeah. we're very American blockbuster focused. And even more recently, a lot of these sort of big budget Chinese and Bollywood movies are sort of getting big wide releases in Australia versus some Australian films, which I guarantee if you ask anybody on the street, they don't even realize that's been released and you can get big yeah. name Australian actors in them and they can promote them for like a week and then they just disappear. I mean, there's a, another one, which I've actually not seen this and I really like to, I think we've talked about it a couple of times, a couple of years ago, they released sort of a blockbuster Australian movie called Occupation Rainfall. It's like about alien invaders in Sydney and sort of there's like a resistance going on. It's got Tamara Morrison in it. Um, even though he's not Australian, but it's got Ken. I was gonna say, yeah. it's got Ken Jong in it as well, apparently. So I'm looking here at some of the you know names. Dan Ewing was a big Home and Away star. There's a big Home and Away star in this movie as well. But yeah, I mean that was sort of one of these rare ones I'm seeing here. That got a 25 million dollar budget, and even that got barely any promotion. I at least remember Tomorrow When the War Began got a fairly significant amount of promotion. I will say that, like yeah. for an Australian movie in the last you know this millennium. That's purely Australian, not like a Baz Luhrmann Australian movie. Like this 
might be one of the most promoted Australian movies I've ever seen in a long time because this got billboards, bus, you know, ads. Like, it was everywhere, which I think was a, was a good thing for a movie of this scale, particularly when it was so well known amongst the target audience of Australians who probably would be rushing out like me to go and see it. Yeah, again, very similar here in Canada. You know, the biggest problem seems to just be promotion and like, let's get these movies out there. Not the public saying, let's support these movies. Like we have this month, uh, I think it's um uh, the 19th, there is something called Canadian National Film Day and theaters will be showing like some Canadian movies there, but it'll be like, oh, for that one day. I'm like, okay, so why don't you do like, let's plan a big massive release for some of these movies. It doesn't even have to be a big budget movie, but like there are some fairly commercial Canadian films a lot of them are French language. It might make it harder in you know uh, cities like a Western Canada, but commercial friendly films that you could just say, let's give it a wide release across the country this week and not just on the one day. Uh, but when we went, I think it was probably uh, Men with Brooms was the first one we did, which I think was like 2002. Uh, from then on, there was a couple of Canadian movies that got like, we're going to have a lot of promotion. We're going to give it a budget that is unrealistic to recover just in Canada, but we're kind of hoping enough Canadians get out there that generate some buzz and that we can get international distribution. Uh, Men with Brooms is kind of the first one. There was another one that I almost picked, and it is on the list to maybe do in a future year. Uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds' first starring, like real big starring role, uh, a heist film called Foolproof that got a ton of promotion here. Again, targeted towards younger audiences, did okay business in Canada, but didn't get anywhere else after that. And, you know, this was before I mean, Ryan Reynolds was just recognizable, but like, yeah, I think it really takes having a big name come back and say, we're going to lend ourselves to this project, which this movie, there's there's only one actor in this movie that I feel like has gone on to success outside of Australia. And it's actually my favorite character in the movie, which I'll talk about in a minute, but uh, I'll, I'll say that. But the director though, this is where I feel like the budget for this movie was warranted because Stuart Beattie is a guy who he, he, I guess his first credit was on the, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. But uh, after that, he wrote the script for Collateral, the Tom oh, Cruise movie. I love which, that movie. I mean, not to, the, the, the script alone. That? Like, I, oh, I know. I, I just rewatched it uh, What uh, back in December or January. And I'm like, man, this so is like good. a movie. I look, come up with a reason to do it just to do it. But like that script is, pro I would argue, one of the best scripts of the last 20 years. Like the dialogue, the story, like how how everything moves forward. It's just a brilliantly written screenplay. And, you know, he also did the script for Australia, which we're going to talk about uh, in a couple wow, of weeks 50 -50 here. Wow, 50-50 for Stuart Beatty, all Australia yeah, this month. Good on you, Stuart. Man of the month. Uh, G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra. I mean, so he'd done some blockbusters and some pretty you know prestigious like award-nominated films. And for his directorial debut, I guess a lot easier for him to go back to Australia and say, I'm a big enough name and you can trust that I'll make a decent you know commercial movie. So give me this budget. You know, following this, he only has directed one of the movie, I Frankenstein, which shares apparently several actors from this movie. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether there was any talk about him at the time because I mean, you go through his filmography, he had been associated with some pretty big movies when he came back to Australia to write and direct this. Jai Courtney was in I Frankenstein. Uh, oh, he also wrote four episodes of Obi Wan. Um, Eddie, wow, there you go. Um, Look, I honestly can't remember much around the promotion about Stuart Beatty coming uh, into this, if I'm being completely honest. So I, I don't really know what to add to that because I don't, I can't remember. Uh, that's one thing I will say I don't remember, but I'm assuming there probably would be. Because, I mean, I like the fact that you do sort of get someone like that come back and do this because, you know, we'll talk about it with Australia in a couple of weeks. So, you know, despite what people say, I don't think it was a complete 
flop um you know mm-hmm. you know compared to what oh, i looked at the box office it's decent and uh, you know and we'll talk about promotion around a movie i mean god when has oprah done an entire special on one movie like she did for australia like that was ridiculously promoted but you know i don't think i think there was talk some talk about like oh baz lerman you know as he lost it a little bit but i think most people in this country when it came to australia were like yeah well that was a decent film maybe it didn't wasn't titanic but it still did enough job so i don't think someone like Stuart Beatty's name would have been like poisoned as some people think the movie australia did with some people but i think like just on the cast though I mean, you're going back to your point about, you know, you try and get like a big name to come back and be in a movie like this. I'd argue that was Stuart Beatty because none of the people in this movie are really like, even in Australia, there's one actor, he's he's the doctor guy, uh, the dentist, mm-hmm. Colin Frills, uh, big name, at least in the television landscape here in Australia. I've talked about, I've joked about, I think before TV shows used to watch in the 90s called Water Rats. It was like about uh, the Sydney Water Police. Rat, rat, rat. Yeah, we got that here. Oh, there you oh, back. Oh, I was saying we got that show. You got that show. I thought you were so excited for the mention of water rats that you just. Oh, you, that, that, we got that show. You, yeah, you froze time. It's like don't mention the mullet. <laughs> um, but so he he was. I like water rats. <laughs> he was the main star of that until like I think the second or third last season when he left, and then they kind of did the whole. I loved it, and Colin Frills has been a lot of great, great actor, very uh, highly regarded in Australia. So that was kind of the biggest thing because everyone else in this movie, I mean, Caitlin Stacy, the main girl Ellie, she was neighbors like she was she would have been around margot robbie time they were kind of like the front and center of neighbors about that time and she i think went on to be more controversial i think she went off the rails a little bit and started just like going on social media and like oh i want to do this and just pose naked going like i'm protesting and it's like okay she's naked again um and just I don't know. I, I think she just kind of was a, one of those media people like the Britney Spears, you know, like, oh, they've gone crazy. They've done something again. Um, and I, I'm guessing you're talking about Phoebe Tonkin as the one who's sort of gone on no. to... No? Because she's no, gone actually, on to a so, few things. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say, well, there's two actors in this that I'm familiar with from other things. The first is the girl who plays Corey, mm. Rachel Hurd Wood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She had, she had done the live-action Peter Pan movie in 2003, which, mm-hmm. not the Hugh Jackman one, but the good one, the yeah, one yeah, with yeah. Jason Isaacs. Yeah. Um, and that, she was one of the lead roles in that. And really, I guess, didn't really she do anything Wendy. else That's big right. in Hollywood. She was Wendy, yeah. Uh, but the other the other guy, the guy who plays Homer. Now, when this movie starts, I'll, I'll get it in a second. When this really? movie starts and they introduce Homer, I'm like, I'm going to hate this guy. And then a couple scenes in, I'm like, I really like this guy. This guy's probably the best actor of all the kids. But it's only one big thing he's done. The, the TV show, The Flight Attendant. Uh, the oh, yeah. What's her name? Uh, big Bang Theory girl. Kaylee Cuoco. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, Kaylee Cuoco. So he was on the first season. It's kind of like a guest yeah. star. And we watched it and we're like, wow, this guy's like so good. Like, like, I hope they make him a bigger role. In the second season, he has a much bigger role. Probably one of the best things on that show. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to lead to him because that show's gotten pretty popular and he's a popular character on it. I don't know if it'll lead to him having a big career, but I mean, he he's a really good actor and I like him a lot in this movie too. You, you know, it's funny, out of all the actors, he was the one I was probably going to struggle the most to know him from or see because like from oh, an Australian really? perspective, I don't think we really have ever talked about him since this movie because I have no clue. I didn't know that. I can see he well, was he play- apparently in Jane Aladdin? the Virgin. once. He was in Aladdin in Once Upon a Time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, there you go. Because I, I thought you were going to talk about Phoebe Tonkin because she'd gone on to a few things. I think she was just in Babylon. Um, so yeah. She- I, I- 
you look through the filmographies of all these kids and you see something that you're like, oh, I've seen that, you know? Well, Vampire you, Diaries. Lincoln Lewis, um, Australia's no. home and away darling. Um, he I was, was going to say, this guy, like, he looks like Jonathan Taylor Thomas's older brother. <laughs> he, so he was, he's the son of like an Australian rugby legend. It'd be like, you know, a, a Wayne Gretzky level legend in this country. So it'd be like almost like if Wayne Gretzky's son was an actor in something. So he's always had that name attached to him. But, he was, yes, yeah, so I'm pretty sure he would have been in there about just when Chris Hemsworth was leaving, sort of late 20, 2000s, he was there and he was, the, you know, the hot guy on Home and Away and all the girls loved him and all that kind of stuff. And I think he also had a bit of a reputation of being a bit of a, like a party animal, like he lived up to it, like, you know, was always caught out with different women and all this sort of stuff. And then I think he just from that point on went on to just be in random Australian TV shows. I don't know if he ever did the Hollywood thing and looking here doesn't look like he really did. I think he just stuck to Australia. So, um, and that's not to take away from that. Some actors just don't want to do that, but he's one that's always surprised me that didn't because of how, you know, he could have been a Chris Hemsworth style person because I've got to admit, he was a better actor in home and away than Chris Hemsworth ever was. <laughs> um, but he, cause he kind of had that personality. He's kind of got that cheeky nature about him, which you kind of see a little bit in this. And outside of that, Ashley Cummings is one I'll say like, I have a mad crush on Ashley Cummings, and you're probably looking at this movie going, really? The good girl, Christian girl? Her? You've got the crush on her out of all of them? Oh, I, I, I Googled her. I can see it outside of this film. She went on... I think I've talked about the show Puberty Blues before, which is kind of disturbing because it's based on a novel which my mum used to love because it was written by a girl like a year older than her at her, ha- her same school. It was about teenage girls in the beach area of Sydney who just basically went around and like got high and had sex on the beach all the time in the 70s. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like, I think we talked about that in Swinging Safari. It was kind of very similar to that. And she was one of the two main girls in the TV series here when they did, they did a movie way way back when, but the TV series, and I loved her and that. Um, So, and I remember when that show came out, I'm like, I know her. What's she from? I'm like, oh, she's a chubby Christian girl from Tomorrow (laughs) When the War Began. Like, wow, she's really grown up. Um, So... Yeah, outside of that, like uh, Chris Pang, I I don't think he's been in. Apparently, anything. he was in a role in Crazy Rich Asians. Okay, uh, he was in the sequel to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. With he did two Michelle Yeoh movies back to back. He did the Crouching uh, Tiger sequel, which I still can't bring myself to watch, and, uh, I, and then Crazy Rich Asians. Actually, I, I want to talk something quickly about Michelle Yeoh related to Australia, but um, and Andy Ryan, Chris the Stoner Kid. I thought he like I thought he was a completely different actor because I'm like, oh, that's such and such. And I looked him up. Oh wait, no, that's not him. Like from a different Australian show. Um, just quickly, we've got this, uh, in Melbourne every year, they have this, like, I don't know what it is. I think it's just like an arts festival called Moomba. And every year they, they crown like Miss Moomba. Like it's kind of just like, you know, almost like a Miss Australia type thing. And apparently Michelle Yeoh was Miss Moomba in like 1982 or something. So like when she won the Oscar, everyone's all like, oh, this random Australian connection, Michelle Yeoh won like Miss, I have to find the articles for it because like it was all in our media about the fact that she was like this prominent sort of person in an Australian parade like 40 years ago. I can see this picture here. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's hilarious how it kind of is there. And I also love the fact that all the Formula One fraternity got very much behind her winning the Oscar because obviously she's, I don't know if she's married to Jean Todd or they've just been in their relationship for 20 years, but obviously she's in a very, you know, long relationship with the former boss of all of Formula One. So everyone's all like, oh, she's part of the Formula One family. So props to Michelle Yeoh. And to Props the to Michelle, yeah. cast of Tomorrow When the War Began. <laughs> uh, well, let's get into the movie here. I'm, I'm sure there's stuff that I'm going to miss. There's a couple questions I have. 
Uh, but uh, the movie starts off with uh, the, the lead character. Um, is Ellie is the lead one, right? Ellie, yes. Kayla Stacy. Actually, with clothes yeah, on. Yeah, so I. With clothes, uh, <laughs> was there a director's cut of this? <laughs> Just type in Caitlin Stacy and Jamie might question. Oh, this is in. the this is the Britney Spears one. I got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, she's doing her video diary here, and she just basically says, you know, to understand the story, you have to go back to the beginning. Um, and uh, I guess this is a flashing back to. I'm guessing this is when is Australia Day? Because this seems like it's high school is finished. This is in between high school and the beginning of college or something. No. Well, I mean, okay. Well, technically, it's in our summer holidays. It's January 26, and for the most part, I mean, at least on the mainland, it wasn't like this with Tasmania growing up. But generally, school would go back sort of around about after the Australia Day holiday, because obviously our summer break is you know December through to January, mm-hmm. February. Um, so it's January 26th. And the reason I say be careful because it's still, uh, you know, in this day and age, it's very controversial because it's uh, the day that uh, Captain Cook discovered Australia. So Invasion Day, all the Indigenous community gets very up in arms and about it. So they're all like, change the date, change the date. So I reckon within the next 10 to 15 years, Australia Day will not be on January 26th anymore. Um, but yeah, so this would be end of January. So summer for us still. Okay. I'm, I'm guessing then these kids are supposed to still be in school um, no, and, and not that this is. Not, no. So they've graduated, but they're all doing nothing. Oh, like in school. <laughs> for a couple months. They would have either graduated yeah. or like, uh, I mean, I reckon if they've got to be at least year 11, year 12. She says I'm about to turn 18. So if you're 18, you yeah. be year 12. So I would say they've just done year 11 and they're going into their so last year So they're on break right now. Yeah, probably. yeah. So this would be summer holidays. This is summer holidays okay. for them and they would be due to go back and I would guess based on her saying, oh, I'm about to turn 18, that they would be heading into year 12, which is last year for high school. Okay. And I mean, looking at the ages, almost all the actors were like 20 or maybe just under or just over, with the exception of Lee, who's like 26, 27 when he made this movie. Yeah, well, but- both Lincoln Lewis and Caitlin Stacey were playing teenagers in Home and Away about this point. So, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, age-appropriate actors. Uh, but uh, uh, Ellie gets this text from, um, what's her phones. friend's name? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, 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 I, this is last character I could Con, Co, Corey Corey sorry Corey, yes. or Corey, Corey. okay yeah. so this is a text from Corey uh, a big news and what is it she goes to meet her and it's like I lost my virginity in this room I'm like what did Ben commit us to watching <laughs> well, essentially be- if, if she didn't have sex they would all be dead because they wouldn't be going away for the weekend so I'm just saying it right now because she fucked Lincoln Lewis they're able to <laughs> save Australia so thank you Lincoln Lewis for fucking Corey that's what that man's dong does. Well, think about uh, it. They, she's all like, I feel like a new woman. Let's go away for the weekend. So, like, if she hadn't had sex, they would have been like, oh, cool. Do you want to just, like, go to the show? And then, boom, no resistance yeah, exactly. So, Lincoln Lewis's dick saved Australia. <laughs> I'm sure it'll happen one day. And you thought uh, your dad was a legend, Lincoln Lewis. Props <laughs> to Lincoln Lewis. <laughs> and then the girls are pinky swearing not to tell that she lost her virginity. Uh, I don't know if this is a thing people still do. I guess that's kind of the point in this scene. It's like... Who does that in our, our, I guess, at our age or whatever? They propose this camping trip. Uh, they're not just going to go themselves. They're going to bring the boys. So, Kevin, this is Mr. Dong. Uh, <laughs> he's going to come along. Then who else are we going to need? Somebody who knows how to survive out there. They pick this Homer guy. And this is his intro here where he just puts the car in neutral or whatever and it rolls backwards. I'm like, oh, it's going to be this type of character. I'm going to hate this guy. But, like, he's so good at playing this I character agree. without being a douche. Uh so he's one of the guys they want to bring along. Uh, they say they want to bring Fiona, who is probably the most fun character in this movie. I mean, she's an absolute idiot, but like 
an innocent idiot. Uh, I, I love the phone call where she's sitting there next to her mom, getting their hair done or whatever. And she says, oh gosh. Yeah. And then like, she's the only person under 60 who says, oh gosh, Which, or whatever. Is it, is it, I, I weirdly remember that being an actual line in the book. Like so much of this is actual dialogue in the book. And I remember that being an introduction for, I think she just referred to her as Fee in the book. But um, that is a legitimate yeah, they, line. Yeah, she's she's known she's introduced as Fiona here, and then after that they kept calling her Fee, and I had to look up. I'm like, did they change her name? Did I miss something? But yeah, they they referred her as Fee or Fee Fee or something like that. <laughs> free, free. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, then they want to call Lee, which I guess is the guy that um, Ellie has a crush on. Tries to call up his family's restaurant. The lady doesn't speak English. You want the menu? You want menu? What do you want? <laughs> yeah. uh, which I mean. It, this it almost plays like they're making fun of it, but I'm gonna say it like we have such a massive Chinese population here in Winnipeg. This is most restaurants you call. Like there's a restaurant that is walking distance from our house, and the first time we ordered there, Jamie called to just find out what do you have that's gluten free, and the lady's trying to communicate with her like uh, uh free no do you want prices like th this is the way it was, but this is a lot of family owned restaurants, and I actually I know there are two two friends that I had who were Chinese where their parents had immigrated and had restaurants. And this is exactly what it was. They would work there as teenagers so that if somebody called that needed to speak better English, they'd pass the phone off to the kids. So, I mean, it almost plays like they're making a bit of a joke out of it, but I've seen this in a million places. No, I've seen it too. The issue I have is the fact that they work at a Thai restaurant. Like, I mean, if these are Chinese immigrants, why are they working at Like, I, I get it. Like, there are definitely... Asian immigrants who will come and work at like different style. I'm not saying, you know, oh, if you're Chinese, you have to work at a Chinese mm -hmm. restaurant. But to me, it kind of comes off a bit like, I mean, could you just make like, this is a Chinese restaurant? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure in the book it's a Chinese restaurant. So why is it a Thai restaurant that you've got a Chinese family working? I'm like, okay. Well, I mean, also at the same time, Chinese restaurants that we have here. The, and again, I say this because the, the, the friends I had were one, or I guess one of them had like, it was, this is authentic Chinese food. And I remember one day him taking me there said, hey, we'll get a free lunch. And it was completely different than what you get in Chinese restaurants. So he's like, mm. no, this is what this is what Chinese food yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. The Chinese restaurants we get, it's like, this is uh, you know, westernized, uh, westernized yeah. Chinese food. So yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, why been, change it? Yeah, I would just say I've been to Asia, you know, Malaysia and, and Thailand. And yeah, I mean, speak to Noah. He's there right now. He's eating Baloo, yeah. for God's sakes. Like you, you eat these in these countries. And it's like, I'm not a Mexican food fan. But when I went to Mexico and I had Mexican food, I'm like, I like this food. Obviously, yeah, I just don't like sort different. of, I mean, I, I will eat Western Mexican food, but it's not my favorite. But anyway, the point is Thai food, China, sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then, then basically uh, after she had petitioned for a dad to let her go on this uh, camping trip, he said, you need to have eight people, but he'll agree to seven if Robin's one of the ones who goes. And this is the the, the minister's daughter or whatever, who's uh, very, very strict. I love that the other girls come all dressed up. Uh, <laughs> they're very their collars straight up and stiff and uh yeah we want to come on the camping trip or whatever and uh, i think at first they say no this is just gonna be a girl's trip but then they basically say yeah the girls and the guys and i'm like okay, like uh, do they not get their story straight when they're going in here um but uh the dad allows robin to come along uh they're in the car trip and this is where is it fiona who gets sick here she yeah. barfs in the car yeah, yeah. Uh, I love some of the songs on the soundtrack are like very dated. Oh, gonna talk the opening song, well, the opening song that plays during the credits. I'm like, do you know? Give me one of these movies. No, I didn't know the opening credit song, but the the one where they're walking to the campsite here, 
I'm like, wow, I want to find this song. This is a great song. And then there's another one when they're playing in the water, which I thought this sounds like Wolf Mother. And I think it is the Wolf Mother no, song that's on the soundtrack. What is the what is the opening song? So the opening song is uh, Missy Higgins Steer. Now, Missy Higgins is sort of like a folksy kind of Australian singer. She has had really, really big in sort of the late 2000s. Uh, I've never been huge on her. She's got a good, good couple of songs, but like, I always feel this is a good opening to this movie. It's weird. Like, I get what you mean when you're like, oh, it's going to be one of these movies. But, like, it just kind of works. And I feel like now that time has passed and kind of Missy Higgins maybe isn't as big a deal as she was, like, I think this is kind of a real, like, trip down memory lane. I think the one when they're going... I've written these down because I shazammed a few of them. When they're going into the area, I think it's Temper Trap, which is another big Australian band. Um, songs called Fader. I like that song. Yeah, it's a good song. And the one when they're in the water is, uh, I'm pretty sure that's Jet, uh, Black Hearts on Fire. So Jet, oh, okay. Jet did uh, Are You Gonna Be My Girl. I'm pretty sure that made it over the, your part of the world in yeah. sort of the oh, 2000s. Oh, yeah, they're big here. Um, very big Australian band. But no, I think I think predominantly they've got uh, just all Australian artists because there's a great version later on, uh, sort of that really slow song you hear by a female singer. It's called Flame Trees by Sarah Blasco. It's actually a cover of a very famous cold chisel slash jimmy barnes song from the 80s so um great sound I, I think like they've done very well by just sort of getting contemporary australian artists who were quite big at the time because from what i know everyone in this soundtrack are australian so that that works mm-hmm. well hey i didn't know jet was in australia like i knew no, wolf mother was an australian, australian band but i didn't know jet was yeah um, very australian. powder finger i've definitely heard of oh, them don't, don't, they're the one that i've complained about for the brisbane olympics that they're going to get them to return because they're like they're regarded as one of our biggest bands ever. And I just think they're one of the most overrated rubbish bands in our history. They're so annoying, but I guarantee you being a very famous Brisbane band, they will reunite for 2032 and then I'll shoot myself. So they get to their location, which they they refer to as hell here, which is weird because it's basically a paradise. Uh, And I, this is a great looking location. I'm not, I'm not knocking how great this location looks. And I can imagine this is like a massive part of the book, like described in a way where people are like, Oh, this is just like a described, but my complaint here is that they set up a saying, how long t- since you think somebody's been down here? I was like, I don't know. Maybe nobody's ever been down here. You can see freshly cut grass, okay? <laughs> this is like perfectly manicured for some place where nobody has ever been before. That's definitely something in the, I think you need to read the book because they go and John Marsden goes into a lot of detail explaining like the barrenness of hell and how it's beauty in a hidden sort of area. Um, mm. So I think that's kind of very much skimmed over here because you're right, like in the book, it's, it's very well explained. And this is actually filmed... I mean, I'm living in Sydney now, so I can go like two hours, sort of actually near where Jared lives in that vicinity. So it's kind of filmed out mm. in what's called the Blue Mountains, uh, which is just a little bit out of Sydney and also up in the Hunter region, which is a little bit, a couple hours north. But I mean, this is, I've been to the Blue Mountains. It does look like this. It's, it's a beautiful area. Incredible location. I mean, you and Jared can do a camping trip down yeah, he's there. Un- he's unavailable some- uh, that day. <laughs> you, can, you can sell them on the instant noodles, yeah. uh, which Fiona's never <laughs> Two minute noodles, of. Colin. You would have called them two minute <laughs> two noodles. Minute That's noodles. what we call them in Australia. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you don't call because yeah, you don't call them that in Canada, do you? Well, here they'd be instant noodles. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that's an Australian thing. We just call them two minute noodles. Or now basically just ramen noodles. Yeah. Everyone calls them ramen now. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, th- that's what everybody grew up on, I think, anywhere in the world. Uh, yeah. And there's so many ways you can cook that, too. Like you throw in a bowl and microwave it, you boil a pot of water. Uh, I actually knew somebody. He said that there was one time his parents were fighting 
and he needed to and eat. And they cooked themselves. <laughs> well, look, he, he needed to eat, and he's like, I've got some some instant noodles here. I've got my hockey helmet. So he filled his hockey helmet with hot water from the bathroom sink and then soaked it. Now, that's probably getting some extra salt from his sweat. <laughs> well, uh, like, I used to sometimes eat them dry, like, because actually... Oh, I'm, yeah. And you put the seasoning on it. There was, actually, there was a brand here uh, where they actually did it deliberately, where they you ate them dry, um, but... The one, the, the cheat one that I did because I was lazy because I never wanted to boil water or use a microwave is similar to what your friend did with the hockey helmet. You'd put them in a bowl of like, bo- and you'd boil the jug, pour the hot water on it, and just put a plate over the top of it and cook, cook it by the steam, right? Mm. Like, so you sort of just let it do that and it would always cook. Easy. Hey, I, I've been to a restaurant where they, Have you? they'll, they'll do like? this like a, well, well, they'll do it as like a halfway <laughs> thing. So basically, they, they take the noodles, they break it over top and they just let it sit on top. So mm. you've got some that are crunchy oh, yeah. and some that are, that are cooked. That's really good. Um, but yeah, this, this movie's making me hungry. Um, we get like a lot of, a lot of these scenes. I'm sorry. It's just like, oh, I don't want to hear the girls talking about, I'm not being sexist. It's just, I'm a guy and I can't identify with the girls talking about, you know, uh, the glutes of their virginity or this one here where Fiona's saying, it's like, oh, how come no guys like me? And okay, let, let, let's look at her. Like I get, th- they even say she's just had a makeover or whatever, or she had, had glasses or something like that. I don't even know all the details they went to, but this is basically supposed to be, she's all that, right? Like she became the hot girl, I don't know, a couple months ago, but I'm pretty sure this girl within five minutes of walking to school after her makeover had every guy asking her out. I mean, I see your point and I agree with you, but I actually kind of, I really like this because I think one thing we should point out, and I don't know if this film ever gets credit for it, how ahead of this time is this movie that basically the main action star of this movie is a female. You've got sort of all these female characters who are never really looked over of all their women, like, you know, like, oh, look at them being weird. Like, I think everybody kind of gets equal billing in this. The coward of this movie is a male. Um, So, like, I think, like, it gets credit. And I kind of like this storyline with Fee because yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you on paper. She's a hot girl. She should be getting the attention, but I kind of think that's the storyline where it's sort of like she wasn't, she was sort of the ugly duckling who became sort of this beautiful girl and still she doesn't get the attention. And I think in the book, again, it's look at me being so book literate. Like it's, <laughs> it's fleshed out more because I do, I remember the whole plot line around Homer liking her being more of like a, huh, this is unusual because Homer usually goes for these types of girls. Whereas this, it's kind of, we only see her as like this hot girl. Whereas, like, I'm pretty sure in the book, like, Ellie's, like, very much like, hmm, like, why on earth is he liking a girl like her? He usually goes goes for, like, you know, the athletic sort of, say, cheerleaders. We don't have cheerleaders in Australia, but, like, that type of girl. So that's where I feel maybe that gets lost in the interpretation to film here because I know in the book you kind of connect with more. And I'll just say, like, now, I think maybe that's why, I like, I may be a bit more forgiving of things like that because I think, going back to my point about this being a really good interpretation of the book, you know when you read a book and you visualize characters of what they're going to look like? Yeah. To me, this nails it. I think like literally every character in the book, to me, I visualize as this. And I think the TV show, you lost that. Whereas this, mm. I think it did a very good job. So that's maybe where I can see you're saying. I absolutely can see what you're saying, but I kind of think it's good. Well, ahead of its time, this movie, ahead of its time. For the record, I think that there's just a, probably a better way to develop this or spin it. Because I think I personally, when when she was telling the story that where I thought she was going with this, it was going to be something like, oh, yeah, all the guys are giving me attention now, but I don't know how to respond. I'm still feeling like that insecure girl. So, like, how do I respond to it? So, it's just, it, it seems implausible that nobody even looks at this girl. You know? It is a small town, though. And, like, I think you see a sign. Yeah, there's only, like, 200 odd people. And, like, you get to, like... You know, you're from freaking Eric LaSalle and like three people there. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, 
Can we just? I just want to go to LaSalle, Manitoba, and just put a picture of Eric LaSalle on the sign and write Eric. <laughs> can we get Eric LaSalle to go to LaSalle, Manitoba? Like, come on. How has that not been a thing? You know, I have a goal this year. I mean, LaSalle's not, it, it's close enough that I could run there on a long run day. Uh, I, I have a goal that I want to run to LaSalle and back at some point in the summer. So I will take a picture of Eric LaSalle with Please me do. just to do that for you. I want to get, I mean, um, we could technically get Eric LaSalle on the show because he is in 24 in like the last ever two episodes oh, yeah. of season eight. So we do have a reason outside of, hey, I just want to talk to Eric LaSalle because he's Eric fucking LaSalle. But mm-hmm. I mean, we're good. Like, I, I famously, again, this is a tangent, but it works into what I'm trying to say. And we'll get back to the movie because this is what we do. Um, there's a very famous, uh, one of the heads of the, one of the Formula One teams, Toto Wolf. He's the, uh, the boss of Mercedes. I interviewed him one year. And I sort of run out of questions. I'm like, fuck, what am I going to ask him? There's a Tasmanian country band who I'm friends with called the Wolf Brothers. So I literally was like, g'day, Toto Wolf. Uh, have you ever heard of the Wolf Brothers? And like, no, I have not heard of the Wolf Brothers. Who are they? He's, he's German, uh, Austrian, actually. Uh, so <laughs> he, he loved it. Like, he loved the country. I need to listen to the Wolf Brothers. So I guarantee if we got Eric LaSalle on, I'm like, have you been to LaSalle, man? <laughs> oh, I've, I'm not going to do an Eric LaSalle voice. I'm German. I'm Eric LaSalle. I would love to go to LaSalle, Manitoba. Like, I don't know. It'd be funny. Uh, okay, so basically uh, they have their first Moving overnight. <laughs> they have their they have their first overnight. And, um, yeah, it's cooking. What's monster. her name? I keep. I keep uh, but they. Wow. And spitting out his two minute noodles there. Mm. Uh, well, the main character sees a Ellie. bunch of planes in the sky. Ellie, yeah, and it is a cool visual. Like again, not a lot of budget for this, and often when you see the planes in this movie. You could tell that their budget's limited, but to me, that was the first moment. Like, okay, now this movie's like picking up. Like, I I, I like that it's introduced, and I I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. I thought it was gonna be these kids hear explosions off in the distance, but I actually love the idea that there's just all these mysterious planes in the sky, and like a lot of them. And then they're just like, all right, let's go back to sleep. And the next day, it's like, did you see those planes? Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe it was some training exercise. You know, uh, it's interesting that like we don't actually, or th- these characters don't even know about it until they get back there. Um, it, it must be a very quick camping trip too because they've got maybe two days here uh there's the first introduction here that homer wants fee and then the, they have rabbit roast for uh <laughs> dinner um there's the swimming sequence here swimming football this is a top gun maverick stole it from this movie they did it first year swimming football uh, i do love rugby, the tackle Colin. though rugby rugby i'm sorry yes uh, i do love the tackle when what homer's checking her out and just gets completely tackled into the water uh, and uh, then we get the snake attack, the first action sequence of the movie. Uh, <laughs> Standard Australian, this just happens every night. I did this three times before I recorded today. <laughs> well, and and they have this master plan to get it out of there. They're shaking it, and oh, they're all screaming. I mean, I I grew up on a small farm in Vita, Manitoba, uh, even more remote than LaSalle. And I mean, snakes, we'd see them just on our farm. And I remember one time. Uh, my sister and I seeing a snake and she just started screaming and running towards the house. And I thought it was a game. I'd seen the snake, but I'm like, what's the big deal? So I started running and screaming to the house. Too. I was like, ah! And my mom was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And my sister's like, we saw a snake. And I'm like, oh, that's what we were screaming yeah. about? <laughs> Do your snakes kill but, you though? Like, I don't think yours are deadly in Canada, are they? No, I, I, I'm not the ones that I've been around. Yeah, you could see them at the zoo. But yeah, if you just see snakes in the wild here in Manitoba, they're going to be like gardener snakes, you know? There's nothing that's going to kill you. Nothing to be scared of. But yeah, yours definitely would be. Which is why. Nine out of the 10 most venomous snakes live in Australia. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, have you ever gone camping and encountered a snake like this? Oh, 
I, I've seen, not in my sleeping bag, but I've definitely, when I've gone camping and gone bushwalking, I've definitely seen snakes. The only ones in Tasmania that it can kill you are tiger snakes. And I've sort of been walking and you just you stop because you'll see one like slithering in front of you and you just, you just stand still. It's like the vision's mm-hmm. based on movement. Um, and you just, <laughs> you just, you let it do its thing. Um, but I mean, you, you sort of, any Australian kind of gets it trained into you about things to look out for or certain days, like you know the old wives tales and things like that like kookaburras if you're walking in the in the for uh, the bush and you hear kookaburras it's usually like well there are snakes nearby because they're hunting cook uh, they're hunting snakes that's mm. what kookaburras do um you know it's like you put your shoes out we've talked about this before you put your shoes outside you always check for spiders because generally mm. if there's a spider in your shoe it could bite you and kill you like it's just standard australian things which all these nightmares you north americans make up like are true but at the same time like it's no different to a Canadian. I'm sure if you're out in the forest and there's possibility of bears, you're trained or mm-hmm. taught the basics of survival if there's a bear nearby. So, yeah, it's just it's yeah. one of those things. I do like the one moment where they're like, shake it like the sleeping bag and starts that. <laughs> the sleeping bag, Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. That is funny. Uh, and, and I can't remember whose sleeping bag this is. I'm not sleeping about that again. Like, Lincoln you, Lewis. You, yeah, like you got it out. <laughs> but again, this is the first indication that he's kind of the coward. I'm, of the I'm him. Like seriously, like when I was oh, growing yeah. up and there was like a spider in my bedroom or a spider in any room in the house, that even if it got <laughs> killed, I'm like, I'm not going in that room for the next three days. And I wouldn't. I'd you know, be terrified. There's, there's one time, I mean, I, I was I was an adult at this point, but like adult 18, 19 years old. And my room was in the basement. I remember one time there was like a bee that was down there. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna be able to catch this bee. So I'm basically going upstairs. And I think my sister was out that weekend. So I'm like, I'm going to sleep in my sister's room. And then the next day I'm like, I had like a whole can of bug spray and a mask on. And I basically <laughs> fumigated my whole basement. Smoking and then I out. still, yeah. And then still it was like later that evening, I'm looking around when I see a corpse, it's okay to sleep in my room again. And then I saw it lying yep. on the floor there. Uh, yeah. The, 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 but yeah, this is here for a reason with him not being asleep in the sleeping bag or whatever. Uh, I mean, that's basically it. Their quick camping trip. Uh, although there is, uh, yeah, when, when Fee rushes into the water, and it's like, why did you go in the water? And it's like, snakes can't swim. Yeah, they can. It's like, no, they don't have fins. Like, yeah, this is what I'm saying. She's she's a fun character. It's like, I feel like in another movie, and I'll, you know, this isn't knocking American movies because we we mostly cover American movies here. We like them, but like in American movie, she's so dumb. This played a joke. Instead, this is just like she's naive. You know, it's not like she's an idiot. She's just naive, and that's what I think is makes her more of a fun character. This isn't like a stereotype. She's just like, there's people I know like that. I'm, I'm, this isn't me calling Jamie dumb. It's like Jamie's kind of naive like this with things. She'll say things, and I'm like, just that's say not it. Your works, wife is you know? dumb. <laughs> Like, I can't even remember. I wish I could remember what it was, but it was something even yesterday where it was like the most, she said something like it was the most illogical thing I've ever heard. Like what? Like, who raised you? You, you <laughs> but, like, deal with her. Asshole. You deal with me on these shows. Like you're surrounded. You know, those I'm with stupid children. <laughs> How's your work life, uh, Colin? Uh, <laughs> oh, just a bunch of idiots there. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, basically they go home after this uh, and the first thing, I guess, when they pull into town, I mean, they really should be questioning why there's no lights on because I think they pull up at night. Uh, but uh, they they notice, like, there's a dead dog in whoever's house they go to first. Ellie's. And, yeah, Ellie's house. And then it's just sort of investigating around everywhere. And we kind of just get one after the other sequence of let's go to this person's house. Let's go to this person's house. Uh, they try tuning into the radio. There's nothing on the radio. Uh, and, um, there's, uh, there's one part where this is kind of like the specials, something bad, like a galaxy quest, Sam Rockwell line, something bad happened here. And then <laughs> I can't remember who it was. I think, yeah, Ellie is like, of course, something bad happened. My dog is dead. Yeah. And I'm like, 
I think a little bit worse than that, but yes, I get where you're going with that. Uh, and uh, Kevin um, is the only one whose dog is still alive, but uh, th- this is one of the things where I'm like, I would have liked to expand on this a little bit more, maybe just to differentiate it from your typical young adult like action film. A lot of the debates they have in this, like where they're saying, we can't take that dog with us. And they're like, well, why not? And it, basically the, the idea I was getting was like, what if some virus wiped everything out? What if this dog is contagious? What if it's you know bringing something? Or what if it's going to draw attention to us? And those are the things I think I like best in this movie is when they're sort of debating what went on here. Uh, when they're at the houses and going back and forth and they're trying to figure it out and eventually um, they uh, end up going to the, the the grounds or whatever. Oh, first, before this, I want to talk about plot hole here. The power's out everywhere, and they're sitting there making sandwiches, spreading mayo with luncheon meat and stuff like that. I'm like, this food is guaranteed rotten unless this invasion happened. Like, it's been at least two days. We had um, a power outage um, back in, like, January, which got pretty cold that night. But even in our cold house in the middle of winter, our power was out for, I think, eight, nine hours. And the next day, Jamie smelt Casper's luncheon meat and was like, it doesn't smell right. I'm throwing it out. Like th- these people are all sick and dead by the end of this night. I'll talk more about it in a minute, sort of some of my issues around this section, but like you're right, because I think it, when they first go to Ellie's house, um, Lincoln Laws opens the fridge and he straight away goes, Pah! like, you know, you see him react to yeah. smelly food. So, yeah. Uh, so that they go to the, the, I guess this is where the festival, the Australia Day festival Show. is going to be. Yeah. The, the, yeah. And uh, they see there's lights on there. There's kind of spying, they see, obviously, there's been some type of, you know, military force. And this is where they make the plan that none of them actually keep. We're all going to meet up back here at 5 a.m. And uh, they, they divide up into teams. Uh, three of them are going to go to check out uh, what these soldiers are doing down there, which is, uh, who is it? Ellie, Kevin, and um, uh, Corey. Uh, the other friend, Corey, the one I can never remember the name of. So they're checking this your out favorite. while the other two groups split off she's our favorite. Isn't she your favorite? Cause you know, the actress or is your favorite fee? Oh, I know the, yeah, I know the, the favorite, favorite character would be fee. Yeah. But right. favorite, the, the actress that I actually know would be Corey. Yes. But I, maybe that's the reason I can't remember. I keep wanting to call her Wendy. I'm just going to call, call her Wendy. Wendy from this point. I'm calling him Wendy, Lincoln okay. Lewis. So, you know, I mean, come on. Oh, that unusual <laughs> aspect of the Oz network, calling them by their real names or other names. <laughs> Standard white person. Um, there they are. <laughs> So uh, they they basically spot there's been people who have been rounded up. This is obviously an invasion. Everybody in town has been taken prisoner. Almost everybody in town has been taken prisoner. Ellie gets spotted. Uh, there's a bit of a chase sequence here. Uh, she turns into the action star at this moment where she sets up a flaming torch, throws it at, I think, a riding mower. Mm. The thing blows up. A couple guys set on fire. There wasn't enough panic on them. Um, but this is where everybody is supposed to meet up again, but it doesn't actually happen. I'll kind of break here before they all kind of regroup. One thing I said, I'm just flicking through it now, and one thing I don't think I'd really noticed until this rewatch was the um, the amount of Australian flags you see in this movie. We're not a very we're not a country that flies our flag as much as say a Canada or America. And I've always got a problem with that. I think any country in the world should proudly fly your flag. Doesn't you know mean anything? It's, oh, it's racist if you fly the flag. Okay, um, but like yeah, I don't know if I really see like. Watch Australia in a couple of weeks. I don't even remember if there is a flag in that movie. Anyway, um, like the the opening bit with Homer, like I love that, and I love he's wearing like a fuck the police shirt. But there's a moment when you sort of they point out that Ellie and Homer are kind of like brother and sister, and they're fixing the car, and he like gets like jokingly and he's like picking her up and they're all laughing. Ah, if you actually watch that scene oh, yeah, carefully. Spill. Yeah. If you watch that scene carefully, he's groping her ass. Like his hand, <laughs> like when he picks her up, like if you pick someone up and put them on the shoulder, like, ah, fun, fun. But like straight away, hand on the ass. 
grabbing the ass like straight onto it. That's a seventeen-year-old boy. Like even if you, you that's your sister. He's so Tasmanian. Um, <laughs> just small town, uh, Wirraway. That's what they do in Wirraway. Um, is that a real town? No, it's not. Um, okay. So, and Cobblers Bay, not. I think there might be like a Cobblers Bay, but not to the extent of this. So when you hear later on the radio of them talking about the towns they invaded like port headland and townsville two genuinely big ports in this country on either side of the country but yeah cobbler's bay doesn't exist um i think what what they do again like as i said this is very close to the book but of course you're going to lose things from it because as you do with any book i think that like the whole from memory like it's about the first third or i don't know if it's about the first half but you get a lot of backstory of them going camping and sort of learning all about that. And one thing I think there's a problem with this film is it does feel very rushed in terms of the fact that they've gone camping and boom, let's get straight into yeah. it. Because like that's the, where the issues start coming. The up. whole thing to me is that like they've probably they've, I think they've only been gone for two days. Yet oh the food's gone off in two days. Like everyone's that panicked in two days. Like like literally they walk into Ellie's house and like, oh my God, they're not home. The dog's dead. Quick, run away. Like, okay, your dog's dead. There's you know, food on the table, you'd be a bit worried. But, like, would you go from zero to 100 straight away? I think you'd be like, oh, this is weird. Oh, no, like, such and such is dead. Oh, where have they gone? Oh, I don't know. Like, let's, and like, they kind of go from zero to 100 very, very quickly. And even the yeah. music, you hear it when they pull up, it's sort of like, dun, 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 like, and I get it, you got to move it forward. But I think this movie could have almost had another, and this is weird. We complain so much about movies now being two and a half hours long. This is what, like, 100 minutes long? Could have added another 10 minutes of just them driving back. And maybe they did. Maybe there were uh, deleted scenes. Yeah, wondering where are the streetlights, you know? Yeah, like you just need a bit more confusion. You just need a bit more like, oh, that's odd. Mm -hmm. That's strange. Like you just need a few little things like that because it just feels like they go from zero to 100 really quickly. Uh, Some of the camping things I really like, like them just sleeping on like the sand. And like you talk about freaking having snakes. Sure, I'm worried about spiders. Like they're crawling all over (laughs) you at that point there. That's what's happening there. The plane's flying over. Yep, very... Very accurate to the book. That's a that's a pretty, you know, famous scene in the book. Um, I also love the fact that when they're sitting around the campfire and they're all kind of like, hey, let's do this every year. They're sitting around there eating Vegemite with a spoon, putting it on like crackers or something. I'm like, could you think of the most Australian thing that you could do? <laughs> We're going to all eat Vegemite. Um, the one thing though that I do find a bit odd, and I, I'm pretty sure in the book it's explained more, but like, if you were to go camping like next weekend and you're just like, oh, I'm going to invite Ben, I'm going to invite Noah, I'm assuming we'd be invited. Are you going to be like, oh, remember that random person that sat next to us that one time we did a recording? Let's invite them. Like, I get it's a small town and I get there's not many people, but do you not like go like, oh, let's invite our friends, like random people we don't really know? And also, there's a bit of a plot. James Pickering. <laughs> I'd invite him over Rocky, let's be honest. Um, well, we- Rocky's our Robin. That's that's what the parents will yeah. let you. If Rocky comes along, you can go. <laughs> we, need, we, need some, we need some culture to our group. We need an English person. There's <laughs> Americans and Australians and Canadians. But there's a bit of a, a mistake when... So, Ellie rings up Lee's restaurant to speak to Lee, right? Like, mm-hmm. hi, can I speak to Lee? And then he's all like, oh, I know who you are, flirt, flirt, flirt. Like, ha, 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 ha. Like, it's a cute scene. But then Ellie's like... Oh, I'll text you the details. If you had his mobile Jesus number, number the whole time, why did you call the restaurant? <laughs> I want them to hang up and be like, wait, I don't have his number. Shit. Hello, yeah. can I speak to Lee? <laughs> to Lee. Um, no, I don't need a menu. I already took, we had this conversation. Can you just give me Lee's number, please? <laughs> um, and but like, look, 
again, we, I get it. You've got to get to kind of like the action pretty quickly, but it does seem a bit like, oh, that it goes so quickly. And I love like Caitlin Stacy's acting when she gets onto a laptop and it comes up with no interconnection. She's like, damn. Uh, I'm like, oh no, you've tried it like once. Um, <laughs> I've tried nothing and I'm all out of ideas. <laughs> but then like, I do like, glad you mentioned that dog line because that is like the worst line in this movie. It's like, what do you mean? Nothing's bad. My dog's dead. <laughs> like, I love dogs. I, I do love dogs. I, I, I miss having a dog. It's been a while since I've had a dog. I'm much more of a cat person. I, I'm team cat over dog, but I still love dogs. You can like both people. You don't have to like one or the other. But I'm also getting very fed up in this day and age that we live in. He's bent on his stoop again. That dogs rule everything. Like in Canada and America, you can go to Walmart and just walk your dog in any restaurant. There's fucking dogs everywhere. It's like, okay, there's an area where like I don't want to always be around a dog. Like can I just have... Ben races against dogs, but like now I'm finding in this day and age of dating that like literally every second person on their app is like, oh my dog has to come with me everywhere. Lol. Like I literally unmatched a girl once because we we're about to go on a date. It's like, oh we have to go somewhere where my dog can come. And I'm like, what? And like, oh well I, I don't go anywhere without my dog. I'm like, what? Like if I'm going on a date with you, I don't want to like be there because like, you're know, like fuck off, unmatched. You might as well have a child. Um, so like and i get like movie like dogs have plot armor right like they're dogs and mm. children like you know if there's John a wick exactly like I, uh, independence day rah, 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 <laughs> boom into the thing like dogs <laughs> and children can never die we talked about this recently with wonder woman let children die i say let more dogs die in movies i'm sorry <laughs> more dead dogs i love dogs i love love dogs and i love children probably a bit too much but that's the whole other story <laughs> but like my point is He's like, we've had one dead dog. This freaking flick or whatever it is is never going to die because Jeff's going to stay the day with his, you know, dog. Uh, his, his name's Kevin. Jeff was his name in Home and Away. But I'm just going to call him Jeff because <laughs> I look at that pretty Lincoln Lewis face and he's always Jeff and me from Summer Jeff Day. Jeff and Wendy. <laughs> Jeff and Wendy. But, um, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I'm going on my rant about dogs apparently. But that, that line is so dumb. Like, everything's I- wrong. My dog's dead. <laughs> Like we've had dogs and cats growing up. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, cats are more common, you know, especially if you have an apartment. And if you're in a home, it's more likely to be a dog. Um, I, I had, uh, I, I think I probably told the story at some point. My the first, my family had dogs. Like when we lived on our farm and everything, there were multiple dogs. Uh, but the first dog that I got for myself was for my eighth birthday. And my parents got it from somebody who just put an ad out. We're giving away dogs. Um, they basically got. Uh, fooled into getting a Rottweiler for their eight-year-old son because the person didn't own up that it was a Rottweiler. They made up a fake dog name. And then when this dog, <laughs> by three months, was like the size of a regular full-grown dog, and it's like, yeah, they took it to the vet. They're like, what did you say this thing was? They're like, I don't know, Alaskan Glacier Wolf? They're like, this isn't a Rottweiler. Like, we gave it to our son for his <laughs> But like, this dog, we we went away for uh, two months. We went out to visit my family in BC. And uh, when we came back, the people who were watching our house basically said, yeah, and this this Rottweiler was not even six months old at this point. But they said, yeah, the dog, um, it's chained up in the back. Uh, we've been feeding it, but it's taking two of us. One of us distracts him, and the other one drops a bowl behind him, and then we run. <laughs> but then this dog, I come home, and it's just all over me, licking my face and everything. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had dogs that I was very attached to, but, like, you know, if 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 my dog's dead, I'm I'm at this point. If I'm Ellie, I'm like, of course something bad happened. My dog's dead, and my parents probably are too. The parents aren't even being brought up. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And look, look, I I have been I get very attached to my animals. I have two cats that clearly live on each corners of the planet, which I never see anymore. But that's a whole other story. But like, they're still your cats. My my like, 
I remember being 14 when my childhood dog died and devastated, absolutely devastated. Mm. And my, God, my cat, my main cat that I had growing up, she lived till she was 18. I had the day of work. I was that sad when she died. And like, I'm not saying don't have an attachment to your animal, but like, again, at the end of the day, like they don't need to go everywhere. And, yeah. and, and like, if I went out, like, I don't know, my cat has to come with me. Like, it's a cat. It can fend for itself. And if, if it's a shit and it does poos and wheeze and scratches shit, I'll lock it in the bathroom and give it a litter tray. Simple. If it's a dog, it goes in the backyard. And generally, if it's a well-trained enough dog, it lives open free in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And when I'm home, it will come inside. It will sleep inside. It will do all that. And I'll take it for a walk. My point is, there's more to this <laughs> than a dog, Ellie. Um <laughs> But, like, this is where, like, things are very rushed because, like, it's sort of they've only been away for a weekend and it's, like, the fridge, like, the power's, like, I get, like, if my fridge went out now, two days later, stuff is going to start to smell and start to go off, but it doesn't go like that. This is where I think they need to add an element to, like, this is Australian summer, you're in rural New South Wales, so they'd be like, fuck, it's stinking hot. So then stuff would probably go out a little bit more. So there are some things in this which I feel I get very rushed because then all of a sudden you've got Ellie and they're going to the showground, which again is a big plot point of the book. It's dragged out. And I think the big thing in the book is this plot line where she blows up these soldiers and she sort of kills for the first time. They sort of touch on it in this about like how that's affecting her. But it's a lot later in the movie. It's way later than it should <sighs> yeah, have Yeah, which is a problem because we've talked about this in a lot. I mean, The Sixth Day, the very first movie we ever did. We, 24, Chloe. Yeah, we talk about how like these characters kill people and they're fine with it two seconds later. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger basically became a murderer in two seconds in The Sixth Day. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, like, she she blows it up. And that, that, that I do vividly remember that chapter where she talks about like, and she says it in the movie, like I looked at her face. She couldn't have been much younger than I was. You know, she looked just as scared. That's much more fleshed out in the book. But then two minutes later, she's driving around the streets, blowing up shit. <laughs> Fuck you invading country. I'm Australian. Um, <laughs> which again, there's a, there's a really, there's one cringy part in this movie, which is very much shoved down your face, which we'll get to. But like, yeah, oh, other, I know which one it is. other than that, it's sort of like, it's uh, the book can do it better in terms of fleshing out how she feels about this because she's an action star. She's a badass in this movie. Let's not forget. But then they kind of, yeah, do flick on the switch later on. Like, Oh my God, I killed younglings. Um, <laughs> but even this showground scene, not just the men, but the women, even this showground scene, like as much as obviously I just said, like, I don't like how in the TV series they made like the general, a character in this. And like, it's a mystery of who, who this invading force is. This, movie does make this invading country look very fucking dumb. Like there are so many things about how bad they are, but this kind of sequence where they're at the showground and they're seeing that random guy like, oh, I'm not bloody waiting any longer. Like, could he be any more Australian? Like, ah, oh, fucking I'm just, ah. Gets shot in the head. Everyone's like, I'm ah. missing home and away. <laughs> I don't know what Chris Hensworth's doing this week. Going, home and away. Uh, <laughs> crikey, neighbours is on. Um, and then sort of it's, I mean, it, but it's a cool action sequence. The fact that they're running around the showground, cars are blowing up. They're getting shot at. This is obviously where we see old Lincoln Lewis run away cause he's chicken, which again, in the book is a thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, from this point on, it's kind of a lot of action, not a lot of substance, which kind of works in a way, but at the same time, you do lose a lot of other bits to do with this movie. So this is where I guess I have a question or I'm wondering if this is just how dumb the characters are or how young they are, maybe. Um, they made this plan. We're all meeting back here at 5 a.m. That was where their lookout point was above the showgrounds. Mm-hmm. We meet back here exactly 5 a.m. So this action sequence happens. It's broad daylight now, so it's well past 5 a.m. And the trio, Ellie and Corey or Wendy and Jeff, um, <laughs> they just walk into the house. 
So a they didn't go back where they were supposed to go, and then they get there, and the the, the other two haven't left the house, uh, and they're like, oh, we were about to go look for Robin and Lieb. Why don't you guys start by going at the spot you're supposed to meet up at? Like nobody has followed the rules here, and then they're wondering why they've all lost track of each other. Yeah, um, in the book again, from memory, in the book they do meet there, or they and then they go back because like I think one thing that's random is the fact that they're all just like chilling at the house for most of this, which again I'm pretty sure is in the book. But, like, mm. how dumb are these forces? Like, they've invaded this country in a tiny little town. Ah, oh, we're just going to hang out the show. There might be other people in the houses. Like, you know, we'll just throw some well, flares like, later on. Like, it just like they're too easily able to just hang at home. Yeah, like, I get, and I think that's one of the problems I have with especially the middle section of the movie here is that there's ways that you could tell this story and not have the invading army look really dumb because they know there's people out there. They just chase people away from the showgrounds and two of their soldiers are killed. So these people who did this are still on the loose. You've rounded everybody up. This is where you send, I don't know, a dozen soldiers because you have more than enough to start searching every house. one by one. There's not that many houses here. It's a small yeah. town. And they know that there are all these people out there. It's not going to be that hard to find them. And then I also wonder, like, I don't know. I, I think I've asked this before, like, if basements are common in Australia. No. Like, okay. And that that was my other thing where, like, it doesn't make sense. Because, again, here in Canada, everybody has a basement. No, we don't. Uh, and if you don't have a basement, you still have what's called a crawl space, which is, like, just a basement with a low, low ceiling. Uh, but I was thinking they should be, like, hauled up in the basement or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, they're they're basically saying, oh, who is this? Who is this that did the invasion? Who this is they? where I wish... I wanted this to be expanded a little bit more. Have even just the characters asking more questions, even if you don't get the answers, because they're like, "Oh, let's find Robin. She knows flags." <laughs> By the way, where is Robin? We forgot to meet her at five a.m. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's something that never gets followed up on this movie either. Like, well, okay, who is this? They bring the point up, but they don't spend any more time debating this. And I mean, it's probably not identified in the the book either. I'm guessing. Yeah, uh, I, look, I think. There's about seven in the series. I think I've only read the first three, but like from what I gather, that was deliberately done. So you never, like there were clues and I think it's yeah meant to be like an Asian nation. And then you kind of get the, like, I, I hate this radio call that we get later on where it's kind of like they've invaded because they're sick of Australia holding like key land in the Asia Pacific region. What land? Australia? <laughs> um, like, and what do you, come and invade us. We've got plenty of <laughs> desert where you will die because there's nothing there. That's like America going, we're invading Canada because they've got the second largest country in the world. Yeah, the majority, which is snow. Um, yeah, exactly. So, Not much you could do. <laughs> which again, like it's, it's yeah, but like I think that's always been deliberately left ambiguous and that's kind of mm. why like, yeah, I don't like in the TV show where they try and make it more of a thing, which again, I and- get why you want to know more because, but like I kind of like that it's done so ambiguous that you don't know if you know what i mean and, and i was kind of speculating uh like who this could be i thought this was like a civil war or something because there's one very cheesy shot coming up tasmania standing- finally stood up for themselves back <laughs> yeah. here mainland well, i thought it'd been the rest of the against tasmania let's get rid of these inbred hicks uh, but there's one very cheesy shot coming up where i think it's jeff who's standing in front of a giant mural of colonials and a bunch of aboriginals i'm like yeah. is this the point of the movie and that's where i was thinking the aboriginals are taking their land back you no, know this is this is we talked we talked about this back in the car you brought it up now but then i was jumping ahead but like we talked about this in the castle when we did it a few years ago that that, that is kind of a commentary on aboriginal land rights that's yeah. what they've always said but it's done in a way where i think if you don't know that yeah like it's not I, i'm not somebody who's against a message and things like that. It's when it's just shoved down your throat. So like it's mm. the Captain Marvel excuse of she's just a girl. We get it. Yeah. Whereas like this is like one of those moments where it's like, and I, 
I'm pr- I can't remember if that's in the book or not. I don't think it is. But like literally you have a character looking at a mural of Oh, look, white people. Oh, they've invaded Aborigines. This is how they felt. Like, it's kind <laughs> yeah. of like, oh, for f- and on Australia Day as well. Like, I mean, it's just, it's a bit on the nose. You may as well have like a an alarm going, real, real, real. We are terrible white people because we stole the land from the indigenous people. This is a message in your face. Back to the movie. Yeah, I, I, I'm not even Australian. And I picked up on how cheesy it was. Um, before they can go find Robin and Lee, they see that there's a dog fight outside their house. This is where the effects are like, oh, they probably wish they could have done a little not bit bad more for an this. Australian movie. I think. It's oh, again, not, I'm not, no, I'm not knocking for what it is, but, but kill I can imagine, I can, I can imagine Stuart Beatty, who's coming off of Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, that he's probably thinking, hello, Remy. Hey, Remy. What's up? Yeah, you know, since you twisted your ankle and you're hobbling, I don't want you on stairs. <laughs> Why don't you go upstairs? <laughs> Remy. What did he, he do? That. He, He's limping all day today. And yeah, hi, Remy. <laughs> Stop beating your children. Oh, what does he want? All right. Wh- whatever. Oh, yeah, I want that box too. Here. Yeah. Casper, can you take Remy upstairs? It's sad that I'm trusting you over him, but I do. Yeah. Can I have that box too, Remy? I don't know what's in that box. Casey never comes down. Casey's a good one, is he? Casey listens. Yeah. And he's quiet. Um, so that's why I don't have wow. Casey in the background this Guys, time. Guys, why don't you go upstairs? Where mommy can watch you. Casper, go for a run. Run, Casper, There's run. There's no way that she abandoned you guys and just let you run loose down here, right, Jamie? It's because she heard you saying that she was dumb. Uh, <laughs> oh, the treadmill's starting up. Here we go. Run, Casper. Run. What's on his oh, pajamas, by the way? Lightning McQueen. Lightning McQueen. Run, Casper, run. That's it. I thought, you know, I thought you had the stomach flu and you couldn't eat anything, Casper, but you're doing pretty good I on the treadmill. To, I just wanted to vomit everywhere right now. Be like, hey. <laughs> It's going to throw up all over me. Go, Remy, um, run. Run, Remy, run. Hey, Jamie, if you're still alive, <laughs> there's run. two kids down here, and this is only going to take us longer. Do you want me to, do you want me to uh, message her? Seems as she seems to reply to my messages. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm hey. going to call her. All right, let's do this. Call her. This is uh, the, the joys of <laughs> husband and wives in Canada that you're downstairs. We could always pause recording, but no, we just do live. Colin calls Jamie. Put it on speaker. Oh, she's not going to answer. She's coming down. Oh, there she is. Hi, Jamie. Oh, she, she was going to the bathroom. and She didn't want anybody to know, but she was going to the bathroom. She was having a dump. She's even said it was poop. All right. No, you can't take a crap in peace in this house. No, I don't know what Remy's got there, but uh, everybody okay, poops. Got- uh, he's, he's got Mr. Potato Head. Uh, that's going to be a lot of loose Jamie was pushing a few Mr. Potato Heads out there a few seconds ago. <laughs> he was just trying to show this is what mommy's doing upstairs. Giant potato in the toilet. I love the fact that you, you do a poo and then right away you get a ball. Remy really wanted the box. Give him a box. Bad parents. Give your son a box. Right. Can you see my muck mucks behind me? I, uh, you're I gonna thought be they were rocks. I thought you were recreating everything <laughs> no. everywhere all at once. <laughs> I've got like three muck mucks now from the Vancouver Olympics. I've got one for you and one for Jared. They're sitting on a table. Oh. Uh, uh, anyways, where were we? And she turned the lights out on me. Uh, <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the dog fight. Good for an Australian movie, but like you can imagine this guy's just written Pirates of the Caribbean, G.I. Joe. He's probably thinking, sure, why don't you leave the light on? Might as well. <laughs> Baby, leave the light on for me. Is that the go goes? Belinda Carlisle? That's Belinda Carlisle. Oh, Belinda Carlisle. Yeah, leave not, a light on for me. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Anyways, but this is what where where I like, and I kind of wish we'd had a little bit more of this in the movie. It's it's 
kids debating what kids would debate. Like it's basically not just Jeff <laughs> who's saying, I don't think we should do anything. You know, uh, then you have Homer basically saying like the biggest risk is taking no risk. And uh, they're saying, okay, well, what we need to do is we need to get somewhere safe. Let's take what we can. And then even some of these things which are almost played for laughs, like, oh, can I take my teddy bear with me? <laughs> can I take my teddy bear? It's like, no, you can't take your teddy bear. And it's like, well, why not? Uh, these are just conversations that we'd be having. Again, if me, you, Noah, James Pickering, and Rocky went on a camping trip, one of Alan us would be like, Alan Flockhart, yeah, I'm sure that Jared is going to be like, can I take Muck Muck with me? And we're like, no, Jared, you can't take Muck, but it's Muck Muck. Why can't I take it? How about Mr. Potato? <laughs> uh, what if some children need to be distracted? Uh, but, I, I, like, I'm, I'm covered for that one, Colin, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do like these uh, debates that they have here. Uh, and um, this is where we get the first helicopter search of the house. And this is probably the most tense sequence of the movie, the first mm. helicopter search. Because you have them with nowhere to hide. And this is where I'm thinking, like, go to the basement. Uh, <laughs> if you're in Canada, this wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're they're getting to a place. And this is, Stuart Beattie does a pretty standard job as a director. He's obviously a better screenwriter than he's director. But this is one sequence that proves, like, he's got some interesting ideas where they're hiding. And then it's like, oh, but there's another window out there. And how, how where am I going to move? And then where am I going to move? And I think it's like uh, Ellie, where she's, like, barely standing in front of this one spot without windows and they say well you're lucky that you're not fat right <laughs> fat shaming in this great. movie <laughs> we all would um but uh yeah it, it's a very tense scene and uh then the thing comes back and they have to take out the searchlights so uh she fires a gun because she's gone rambo again uh and uh this is where they get out the, the flares all drop and it's like okay now they're they're just trying to flush out the area and they all run and the house is blown up. Uh, so this is when they finally decide after about two days of hiding in the house, maybe we should find Robin and Lee. <laughs> we may have left them for dead. Uh, they don't, uh, they find Robin at her house and <laughs> she comes out with a, a walking, careful, she's got a walking stick. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Jesus defended himself. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but, you know, she's, this is a character arc for her, you know, nonviolent or whatever. And I like that she's like, well, it's a walking stick because my dad's walking stick or whatever. Uh, and this is going to go somewhere. But that's uh, I mean, she just says, to pause that really quickly. The, the, I think the thing that's funny there is Ellie goes, how did you know she didn't, it was a thing. Oh, because that was her dad's walking stick. How does Ellie know what Robin's dad's <laughs> walking stick looks like? Okay. Uh, she's very perceptive. Uh, hmm. she, she knows Lee's phone number without ever getting it. Uh, she knows where he works. She knows Robin's but dad's. doesn't know flags. Animals. Robin knows flags. Exactly. <laughs> now, if Robin had been there a few days ago, they'd already know who's invaded. Exactly. Who, who, what, is our, what are our guesses? It's not going to be New Zealand. There's no way they'd pull that North off. North Korea. Well, I, I, I honestly would think it'd be Indonesia because they say like our neighbors uh, and mm. neighbors. Um, and sometimes there are. <laughs> it's Alan Dale. <laughs> <laughs> and Margot Robbie. Uh, sometimes there is tensions with Indonesia. Um, mm. But, and Indonesia is technically our closest, or is Papua New Guinea our closest neighbor? It would be Indonesia or East Timor um, because... Do we get accents from any of the soldiers or any visual on a race? You see their faces a few times and... Uh, yeah, there is one who looked semi-Asian. Yeah. Uh, the, and, like, again, I'm pretty sure you always get that reference in the novels that they're Asian descent. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'll just say North Korea because they're evil, but why would fucking North Korea want to invade Australia? Like, we've got no beef with North Korea. 
Um, except for Noah, he's off there creating uh, bad things. I like if it's kind of like what we do in twenty four, right? Like it's definitely Yemen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's Indonesia or I wouldn't say Papua New Guinea. I'd say East Timor because we helped. Well, I guess we helped East Timor though. So, ah, oh, fuck it, it's New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> those bastards. Definitely New Zealand. <laughs> it's the sheep. Uh, they're running from the cows. Like we've never seen such a beast before. Yeah, exactly. We only know the small versions that are hairier. Uh, yeah, so Robin basically explains Lee got shot. Uh, why she left him, I don't know, because it's not like he's he hasn't been getting performed by the dentist for how many days. But yeah, this is where you get into the only other speaking character in the movie outside of teenagers, the dentist here. And this guy is fun for a very small scene. He he gives a bit of the background of what happened. It says, yeah, you know, these armies just showed up. I mean, I heard that they took the ports first and then they took the airfields and then the bridge is the main thing. And we did see that visual of them on the bridge, which is, I don't know if it's supposed to be like the only point of entry in or out of here. Yeah, that's what they say. Um, yeah, and I love where they're trying to ask him about, uh, oh, my family, do they survive? Oh, I think they're in the camps and mine. And then you get Homer's. And it says, oh, do they ever get their teeth fixed? No one's like, well, how am I going to know who they are? <laughs> uh, I, I almost wish, I'm, I'm, does this character come back in any of the novel uh, oh, or even the sequel novels? I can't remember. I, f- I feel he does. Um, I thought he died. Maybe he does. I look, I they say, like, I think it's him who says, oh, yeah, there's other people out there. There's some pockets of resistance that are starting up. But, like, we never see that resistance. This is the, the M. Night Shyamalan from Signs, right? This is the... Yeah. Oh, I hear they don't like water. So he's like, yeah, oh, exactly. the bridge. They try to take out the bridge. Um, but cool. oh, I'm pretty sure there's more resistance stuff in the books. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure this guy comes back in the novels. Um, he does leave them here. He leaves them for dead. <laughs> Sorry. Good I got man. My own Children here. don't have uh, plot armor. Uh, I've got a root canal to do over on 6th Street. Sorry. <laughs> I got that here. <laughs> Uh, but uh, Lee's not going to be able to move for a while. Uh, so they're, and, and again, I like these details. And this is where this gets me very interested to read the books because I like to know what they would be speculating about. Okay, so how are we going to move Lee? Uh, golf cart, uh, wheelchair, you know? And then I think the one thing is says a wheelchair is like, oh, there's too much movement or something like that. Where he's like, I can't move this. So like, what we need is something like so big that everybody would be terrified of it. So this is where they hijack a garbage truck. Uh, <laughs> now, I have a bit of a problem with this because they have the bucket on the front. Of this I'm assuming it's supposed. To, it looks like a cross. I've never seen a garbage truck that has a bulldozer on the front, but yeah. you would usually have those arms that grab it. A bulldozer, garbage truck, fine. Um, so they're basically saying get into the bucket, and he says, "Oh, I'm not going to be able to climb up there," which is a couple of steps. Corey could have lifted him up there. Wendy could have lifted him <laughs> up there, but oh, I'm not going to be able to climb up there, and I can't move my legs, so a wheelchair is out. So they dump him in the bucket that is going to be barreling down the streets at about 100 kilometers an hour, bumping into everything. Guaranteed no movement in this thing. Good for Lee. <laughs> uh, but still, this is a, a decent action sequence uh, as they're plowing their way through everything. Uh, I do love their their logic of we need the biggest vehicle so nobody will get in our way. The only things that they have seen attack so far are helicopters and jets. <laughs> uh, this is going to be no defense case, but this is where they just say, oh, oh, we hear that there's some rebels who have stolen a garbage truck and are trying to exit the city and they've run over some of our soldiers. Should we ready the planes or the helicopter? No, let's see how it plays out with the ground forces. Like, <laughs> seriously? The only time in the movie these planes aren't anywhere to be seen, I don't get it. Uh, but but we get an action sequence and Ellie driving and plowing through everything. Plowing. Plowing uh, your mother. <laughs> there's a really unintentionally hilarious moment here where 
I guess uh, soldiers are shooting and stuff like that. And Ellie, I don't, she's not supposed to be shot, but she's hit with debris or something like that. And the way she screams like, ah, <laughs> and then and I think it's uh, whoever's in there with Robin. her fee or something like that. Robin is like, you're bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's a trickle of blood down her hair and this is really makes it even funnier that it's robin because she just saw lee shot straight through the leg and Sexist, then you get ah racist. you're bleeding because <laughs> she's a white woman <laughs> the big overreaction to a small cut in her forehead that doesn't even appear for the rest of the movie too uh, uh yeah you get the soldiers and their mad max vehicles here like is this something People drive down the street in Australia. 100%. These Mad Max cars, dune buggies. Have you not seen Mad Max? That's just Australia. That's just how we live. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we actually just well, watched all the Mad Max movies within the last month, month and a half. And it is funny. You watch the first one and you're seeing regular cars and then it evolves in the next one where, oh, now it's mostly dune buggies and buses. And then you get to the third one. It's like, no, we're just inventing cars now. <laughs> we don't have anything real. We left. had a lot left over from those movies. Mel Gibson left them all behind. So they're just here in this movie ready to go. That's how they kept it under $30 million. Uh, give us some of the ones from Beyond Thunderdome. They'll yep. still run, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, so we get a bit of a car chase here. And uh, we get another cheesy line here where I think they say to Ellie, you're dangerous. He goes, That's what my driving instructor said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love when they get to the meeting point here, which by the way, None of these people showed up to their first meeting point, and she pulls up. She goes, "Where's Homer?" Like, not even five <laughs> seconds. Where's Homer? Oh no, they didn't make it. He pulls up ten seconds later, and they're panicking. A uh, <laughs> little bit uh, over the top. Uh, and this is the first time somebody says, "So, what if they brought a helicopter?" And it just sort of reminded me of like the Dumb and Dumbers. Like, what if they shot me in the face? <laughs> I just wanted Ellie to be like, "Oh, I, my God, you're right. <laughs> it had been a helicopter. <laughs> we all would have been dead." Um, and th this is their plan where they want to go back to hell here. So, um, uh, I don't know how much more should we cover here? Uh, Ellie's going to drive the, oh, they go to Chris's house first. So we'll cover the introduction of Chris here. I mean, th I have to imagine he's a bigger character in the novel because he has no purpose in this movie other than we need somebody else to explain what the dentist didn't explain. Mm. So they show up at the, the town stoner's house, Chris, and, uh, he's going on and on about, everything that happened. His parents went to Saudi Arabia. I was wondering, like, is this a typical vacation spot for Australians? Oh, oh yeah. yeah my parents I'm going next weekend. Saudi. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a very common thing. Um, but uh, he's talking about having the house to himself and he's just getting high and then all this stuff happens and he's imagining, am I that out of it? Where is this real? Is it fake? And then he has this one uh, line where, um, uh, how is it he phrased it? Or, or what he's talking about the power. It's like, and the power went out of 10. Or was it nine? Was 10? I think it was nine. I think it was 10. No, it was nine. It was definitely nine. <laughs> uh, and uh, then he's like, yeah, and since then, I've just been chilling. It's been pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get this. Is a, this It's it's a different type of character you want to destroy some comic relief. But, like, I don't feel like the comic relief really gets pulled off with Chris. Uh, I'm going to call him Chris R. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, does he have the line here about how funny your dogs? Yeah, I've uh, uh, that down. When he just he sees like a dog, but he's like, how funny your dogs? How funny are dogs? <laughs> uh, and uh, the, 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 I guess we'll finish off the Chris Chris R stuff here where uh, Ellie really loses it on him for no reason. They basically have the watch out and then uh, there are, I guess, more patrols outside and she freaks out because he was asleep uh, and he should have been awake. So she basically pulls a gun uh, because this guy was sleeping. And I'm thinking like, it's his house. Yeah. Like he, first forget that he's the stoner, which is probably what they're trying to be like, Oh, if he was, if he was sober, he wouldn't be passing out. But like, 
the guy fell asleep for five minutes. Like, are you going to be able to stay? And this is going to come back a little bit later when she decides to have a conversation about boys when the soldiers are creeping up on them. Well, and you also forgot to mention, she's upstairs making out with Lee. So, I mean, you yeah, know, exactly. it's kind of on you, love, as well. Stop digging with your dear, well, your vagina, sorry. Yeah. Uh, right before we get to the um, uh, the the climax here, so they, they basically go back to hell and they're hearing on the radio the all the talks about the reason for war. And this is where you have that explanation about you know oh you you need to share your land or whatever, which is what was making me think oh this is Aboriginals taking back their land or whatever. But that's just another one. Of the things I just th- that radio thing is what made me think that there's a way to expand the story a little bit, not rush it like you said, give a bit more development, and there probably is more in the novel. Uh, just through things like the radio and people talking, like give us more details of what's going on. You know, maybe have like Rebel. Hey, this is Rebel Radio. <laughs> hey, he's back. <laughs> John Connor's back. <laughs> yeah, John Connor's Rebel Radio. Uh, but just something like that. But uh, at least they included something in the movie, which is good. And I'm 99% certain like it's kind of told a little bit more in the book in the fact that they sort of, you hear them talking about like flicking between stations and they catch a bit here, catch a bit there. And I think, because one thing like I was thinking about is there's no mention of like cities and stuff like that. So like, it's all well and good that these, you know, Indonesia has come into Townsville, Port Hedland and Cobblers Bay, but like surely the, you know, RAAF out in Sydney are going to be like flying in and Bob, like that bit where you see the plane, that's one of ours. First of all, I can (laughs) guarantee you any Australian does not know what the fuck our planes look like. Like I'm so, it's not like he's got a fucking kangaroo ride that going, yippee. Like, I mean, like, I don't know. Like I'm looking at the sky going like, Oh, which one's that? Like, I don't know. for, for most of my life, the Canadian Air Force, like the, the <laughs> Canadian main Canadian, the main Canadian Air Force base was in Winnipeg. Like we have still barracks all around the city. Like I could drive to work and I'm passing by the old barracks and stuff like that. You know, we've got giant airplanes that are that are memorialized all over the city. I wouldn't recognize the airplanes. And I live in Air Force capital of Canada. Yeah. And like, I mean, again, look, it's, it's pointless me pointing out the implausibility of this because if right now if Indonesia invaded Australia, I'm pretty sure we could take Indonesia. I'm sorry, but we could. Um, and secondly, uh, this is where we'd be like putting our hands up going like, hey, America, remember all those times that we helped you in like the Middle East when nobody else did? Well, come and help us. And I'm pretty sure within two seconds, Indonesia would be sent flying back to Jakarta. So... Obviously, the logistics of this is must be in a universe where everyone hates Australia because no one's <laughs> flying in to help us out. Um, but okay. Um, but yeah, like uh, everything that you kind of covered there. I, I mean, I, I love yeah, the, the helicopter scene. The house is great. It's very tense. Although I don't get why they blow the house up and then not the shed. This is where it just goes to show that these soldiers are dumb. And I don't ever get that picture in the book that they're dumb. Because, like, literally, as if you're going to blow up a house well, and go, well, clearly they were in there. They could not have definitely gone to the shed and hid instead. Well, like the, the helicopter scene, too. I mean, there was this weird part, which uh, it took me a while to figure out what was even going on, where I guess they thought it was the pipes when mm. the helicopter was coming in because of the shaking. But they had so many lights on in that house. Now, you, it's it's not like these kids shouldn't have already thought maybe we should have the lights on because when they came into town, they're like, why are not the lights on? They're immediately drawn to the one spot in town, the showgrounds where the lights are on. Yeah. It is, it does not take any effort for one of the, the, the general or one of these other soldiers to be like, let me just quickly step on this ridge outside of town. Look, a light on in a house. There's people there. Let's kill them. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think it's also a bit silly that like this loud sink is louder than a helicopter. I mean, this must come to the 24 <laughs> school of loudness of helicopters that you can talk in a helicopter and a sink can be louder. Um, I do love the Colin Frill scene. I love Colin Frill. So I think he's like, you always needed to get some sort of notable actor in this one, I think, to kind of play this role. I know in the TV series, again, this name won't mean anything to you, but they got Deborah Mailman in. She's a 
big name actress, big um. And if you ever heard of the show called Secret Life of Us, I think we talked about that once in here. Yeah. Like Joel yeah. Edgerton, I think, was in The Secret Life of Us and a few other ones. Claudia Carvan was in it. We talked about her in the prequels. She was one of the main stars of that and she's gone on to be a big name in Australia in a lot of TV series here. But, um, you know, like you, you're going to get a Colin Frills, a big name Australian to play a character like this and I think he does it really, really well. Um, the, the whole meeting point thing, like... Definitely remember that the novel being a lot more strict and like, yeah, we will meet here, we will meet there, we will do this, we'll do that. The action sequence, I mean, again, for an Australian movie, this is fun. It's it's up there. I mean, if you didn't know this as an Australian movie, you feel like this is like a Hollywood movie, kind of the chase sequence. Is it logistic? No. Like as if you're going to be in a bucket thing and getting like shot at and like you... Yeah. He's fucking... He's got no seatbelt. He's got nothing to hold on to. He's flying out. He's hitched <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, sorry, Lee. Thanks, Lee. See you, Lee. <laughs> Bye, Lee. Um, <laughs> the bleeding bit. I didn't pick up on that, but I need to uh, go back to to that. I'd, I'd love to know where this sequence was filmed because, like, I don't know if we like. I know we've kind of got Fox Studios. It was a thing for a while, and I know uh, Warner Brothers Movie World. They do have like film sets, but I don't think we have sets like they do. Sort of the ones I've visited in Hollywood, where they've like legitimately built like, like four, a backlot. Yeah. yeah, like four city blocks of New York City. They can you know film stuff like that. Like. So I'd, I'd love to know where well, they this. Well, this is after The Matrix. I, they had that massive freeway area, which I guess those studios are well, still that, available. That free, well, that freeway was built in Los Angeles. That that freeway wasn't built oh, in Australia. Oh, that wasn't there? Okay. Yeah, no, that was that was not filmed in Australia. Oh, well, that part wasn't. But yeah, so I don't know. I'd, I'd love to know. And like, it's very cleverly done because you get that sense this is around a whole town, but I can't imagine they've gotten a real town and destroyed it. Sort of not like on like Goldeneye with St. Petersburg, right? <laughs> they built half of that in a back lot because St. Petersburg like, hey, don't destroy our city. Okay. Um... Yeah, the Chris stuff is, yeah, you're right, bit of comic relief. And I think, honestly, like, the comedy in this movie does stick to landing for the most part. It's kind of like a dry, quippy, it's not over-the-top Marvel quips. And, again, this yeah. is still sort of very early, I think, in that period where quips took over Hollywood, you know, because, I mean, this is, what, two years removed from the MCU even starting. So I think we didn't, I mean, it's been a while since I watched the Harry Potter movies. I don't think the Harry Potter movies are well filled with quips. Oh, Harry, you're a little shit. Lol. Um, <laughs> what are we doing the Harry Potter movies? Um, actually, I've got them on my stick to rewatch this year because I've, I've not watched them in a very long time. Yeah. Um, Ellie, uh, the whole Ellie Lee love story is a thing. They, they fuck in the second book. I remember that. Um, spoiler alert. But uh, she does go a bit wild on poor Chris here. Like, I mean, <laughs> He didn't fall asleep, sure, but like you pull a gun on this guy, like you, yeah. you killed a few soldiers. Now you're a murderer, Ellie. Like I mean, <laughs> I mean, I will say, Kevin Stacey pulls this off very well. Like uh, no matter what she's like now in real life, she's a good actor, and I think she plays this character very, very well. And I kind of like this dynamic between her and Chris yelling at each other, but um, it is a bit full on. Um, but the one thing I want to say, I know it's sort of jumping in. I'm assuming you're going to include this in the last half of the, the last third of the movie, but I do love it when they're back in hell. And we've kind of got that meta commentary when Corey's reading a book. What's the book like? Oh, oh it's yeah. better than the movie. Oh, <laughs> they usually are. Like, mwah, mwah. There's a, this is the third time I've seen that in a movie. The other two ones I can think of, um, one, it worked perfectly, and one, it worked, like, horribly. Worse than this. Uh, X-Men Apocalypse, I think, was the, 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 the third prequel X-Men and in that movie, like Jean Grey, Cyclops, Nightcrawler, all the young characters taking place in 1983, they come out of watching Return of the Jedi. And they're basically saying, it's like, oh, that movie was great. It's like, yeah, the third chapters are always the best in a trilogy. And this, of course, being the third part of that trilogy, I'm just like, oh, that's so bad. But the best ever is, you haven't seen it, but Scott Pilgrim versus the world. 
uh, obviously based on like a, a comic graphic novel series. And uh, there's a scene that's played two or three times where it runs through and then it's like, okay, we're going to, what if it goes this way? What if it goes this way? And one of the, each time where he walks in, there's people in the background are having a conversation. And one of the times he walks in and says, the, uh, the, the book was definitely better than the movie. It's just like a background thing where I'm like, okay, that's clever. I like that. That, um, Here it was like very obvious. I just read a list. It was like the top 30 most like, um, great movies that bombed at the box office or something like that that have gone on. And that Scott Pilgrim was on that list. Oh, and Scott Pilgrim's like the craziest thing ever because the movie bombed, but like from the very moment that came out, like it was so talked about. Like that, there's very few movies that become a cult uh, favorite overnight. Mm. I mean, we're definitely going to be covering that. We, we missed it for anniversary month. We're definitely going to be covering it at some point. I think we just um, do. Uh, you one, would love it. We just do a like one. We month. talked about that. Yeah, like, like just a Ben and Colin movie. month. Like just yeah. whatever. Colin chooses two movies, and I just go. Yeah, these are two movies that I love that we're going to do. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, we, we let's do it. Yeah, okay, um, fuck yeah. Let's scrap this. We're done after Screw this. Go no with love again. They get away with it. Uh, sure. This is how. Or, or let's just strip out Australia and just do Scott Pilgrim instead. That's Canadian. <laughs> um, sorry, wait, that doesn't work that way. I got to pick what? one of my movies to kick out. Uh, sweet well, hereafter. Who cares about that? <laughs> they're sweet um, and they're there uh, and they're after. The sweet hereafter after, as I Google it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, that one line is really bad, but. This is, I guess some of these scenes don't really work, but then this one I actually really like, which is my opening line, the Lee and Ellie scene, where he's like, you remember back at Chris's house when I was playing with your hair? And then she's like, yeah, yeah, good times. Yeah. Um, so anyways, it's been awkward, <laughs> but it's the awkwardness of the scene that makes it work. And I don't feel like they really nail that in a lot of the other you know, flirtation scenes between any of these young characters. Yeah. I really don't think they make a big enough deal out of the Homer and, and fee thing. I, that, that's just kind of like, and maybe that's meant to be setting up for a sequel or something. It's but like, in the book more. It's definitely in the book more. Okay. But like, but like this one scene here is really good just because of how awkward it is and where, and she's explaining, well, it's like, yeah, so I was into it at the time. I might still be into it now, but I've got other things on my mind. I killed a bunch of people, you know, <laughs> it messes with you. Uh, but then we get into uh, the, the conversation, what they should, this is basically, should we fight uh, or should we just st stay and do, what is it? The woman talking, stay and do nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ask Ben what the, yeah, that movie, I blocked that out. You mentioned it twice stay in this fight. episode now. I'm going to have bloody nightmares. Women, women talking stole it from the, the day after tomorrow's war began. Um, <laughs> the day after tomorrow when the war began. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, this, again, I like these debate scenes because if you had done this in a movie and these characters were 21, it doesn't make the sense in the same way. But this is one of the things that I always defended when we did Jurassic Park 3. People who say like, as if this kid could survive on himself on an island. And I'm like, okay, if this kid were one year earlier and his voice had changed, you would buy it. And this is sort of just the next level where it's like, okay, these kids could defend themselves, but how are they going to cope with that? And th this is where they're going through their reactions. Like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull the trigger. And even Elliot's like, so like I've killed a bunch of people already, but I think it's starting to mess with me. Right? Uh, and then and the, the Robin one here, this is where I'm like, oh, this is just going to be, I know where this storyline's going. She's going to be pulling the trigger on somebody and she'll get her hero moment. And they don't disappoint. They do exactly that. But her saying like, I can't kill somebody, but I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm going to go along with this plan anyways, because I got nothing better to do. Um, the, uh, the next thing where they're casing out the bridge. Okay. So if we were to have a plan, what would it be? And this is where I wish that, Maybe they had had a better explanation of where these other rebels are because we know of a dentist is still alive and he says there's other people. 
Um, and he me- he's the one who's mentioned there's been other people trying to fight. But, like, why are they not trying to find these people first and, you know, come up with a big plan? Their plan, obviously, it works, though. Uh, they say they need to steal a truck, so they steal a gas truck. Uh, and th- this is probably the the best laugh I got of the entire movie was the smashing the window thing where she's like, <laughs> no, wait, I've always wanted to smash a window. And she throws it. In. I don't even know if it hits the window because they don't show it, but it just drops to the ground. Uh, okay, I get one more try and then does it the second time to break the window. Yeah. Uh, they, um, they, they, when they get to their their next meeting place where they're getting ready for the battle to start, and this is where they have they're another one of the conversations about boys where like, I can't identify with this. Colin, uh, anti-boys. I am definitely not into talking about boys. <laughs> uh, bring back uh, Noah. I mean, depends. If they're, if they're talking about Pierce Brosnan and Tom Cruise, and we'll just think you know, that's who they're talking about. Like oh. they're talking about Pierce Brosnan. Oh, yes, you're right. Just beautiful man. Oh, uh, I get I get stomach flutters too. <laughs> but I mean, I I basically zone out during the scene. But but then I zone back in when I'm like, what a hypocrite! Because they're trying to get on the radio to them saying. Okay, there's soldiers behind you. Do something, do something. And this is where Ellie becomes such a hypocrite for her pulling the gun on Chris because he fell asleep yeah. watching nothing. And this is her plan. But, but, but there's soldiers behind them. They're not paying attention. But in defense, though, isn't it Fee who turns the radio off? Because she's the one who says, like, oh, sorry, I turned the radio off. So I think, like, technically it's not. So then pull a gun fault. on her, you know, but she doesn't. Well, so it's true. only Chris. Chris R. Sexist. Uh, <laughs> Pulls it on yeah. a man. But if it's a woman, does it? Oh, that's all right. Sister power. Go, girl. And and she doesn't want to bang that boy because if it was Lee, she'd never pull a gun on him. Before, it's like, oh, my dog's dead. And it's like, Kevin, it's like, oh, my dog's alive. Oh, yeah, we got to save the dogs. Lee's like, no, no, don't take the dogs. Don't take the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know she's playing favorites. Uh, but, yeah, they, they're not paying attention on the radio. Uh, then <laughs> where the other guys are going through the the, the cows and like you got to hiss like a snake, hiss hiss hiss. hiss. <laughs> but it, like you said, it's not played as like oh this is a funny. There's no you know rim shot after that. It's just it's kind of a funny thing where they're they're thinking they could do it because again a 17 year old is going to react differently than an 18 or 19 year old would. Yeah. And this is movie is giving us the 17 year old's reality of what would happen in something like this. Uh, I don't know whether they actually planned this out in the book, but like this battle sequence, which is a little bit brief, um, it, it sort of comes to surprise even the audience because you're like, well, what is their plan? They got this gas truck. They got cows. You see this giant cow stampede on the we bridge. We got cows. Which, <laughs> we got cows. I got to go. We got cows. <laughs> Another cow. Actually, I think that's the same one. <laughs> same one. Uh, but th- yeah, you get this visual of the cows, which when it first started, I'm like, oh, this is going to look really cheesy, but it actually looks pretty you know, action-packed with all the cows stampeding these soldiers running. Um, and if it's, if they, again, if there's been 19-year-olds and their plan is we're going to have cows chase these guys off a bridge, you'd laugh a little bit more, but it's a 17-year-old thing. Uh, then we get a little bit more of the uh, the gas truck and they're basically soaking a rope in there and they're trying to set this thing on fire just right underneath it. The plan is all to blow up the bridge. This is where Robin turns Rambo. We couldn't have predicted this would happen. Oh, I'm not going to kill anybody. Oh, I only hold walking sticks. No, I don't know whether I could pull a trigger. For Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> and she's got a taste of blood and she likes it <laughs> so, mm, mm, revenge mm. <laughs> like strawberry <laughs> she turns into Sean Bean here <laughs> like strawberries and you got MK Jensen back going like uh. <laughs> now, did I miss uh, Wendy getting shot in the scene because this action sequence I mean it's basically over when they blow up the bridge which is a great visual I mean they sunk all their budget into this one scene 
But then she's shot. Where it's, it's at the end when Kevin, so Kevin does a runner again. You think, oh, there's coward Kevin. But yeah. then he comes back on his bike going like, come on, get on the bike. There's another one. for he's, he's a savior. So once it gets blown up, she jumps on the back and she's all like wet for Kevin again because she's a hero. And then as they're like, ah, ah, then you, and, she's like, and she gets shot. Oh, okay. So, yeah. It happens very quick. There's a lot going on here, a bridge blowing up and stuff. But I mean, they get back to their house and uh, or somebody's house and, um, Basically, Wendy's been shot and they're saying, well, we need to go back to hell. This is going to be the one safe spot. Do we can plan our next move? And she says, no, I'm I'm not going to make it. Uh, you go on without me. Uh, and this is where Kevin slash Jeff just says, I'm going to stay with her because I'm a coward. And that's what we do. <laughs> no, but, doesn't, um, but doesn't she? Yeah, like they say like because they, they deliberately get captured here, don't they? Because they need the medical yeah. system. Well, yeah. and. I, I and I didn't want to spoil it because I'm actually curious to maybe you know uh, I I don't know whether I would read this book or just skip to the next one just see what the story's are, but I'm curious to read it. But I did look through the plot of the next one enough to see that okay their character this is part of the plot of the second one is that okay so should we see if they got help can we see if she's okay enough to come with us now and then it's sort of like everybody divided and yeah. what happened to them. Um, but uh, they get their their goodbye here. Uh, say goodbye to coward Jeff and Wendy shot in the, the back of the head or whatever she was shot. Uh, and then we're back. Wow, to the, Peter Pan really has the magical oh, powers. Man. She's like, oh, gonna, that's a bit of brain gonna matter. Damn yeah, it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a Band-Aid or something. <laughs> Maybe yeah, a lump there, you idiot who shoots a bullet. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, my hair is just not going to look right. <laughs> um, but uh, now we get back to the video diary started with, and she basically says, yeah, it's been a hard three weeks. And I, I guess this is setting the timeline that it, it, it's basically the events of this movie all take place in a week. And then the video is three weeks later and they're all armed and they're storming, you know, one of the, the, the beaches that they've taken over the ports. Normandy. That have been taken over <laughs> Normandy. Yeah. They're going straight into battle. Trying to find Ryan. Where is he? <laughs> and of course you got Robin with her Rambo machine gun there and everything. Uh, and grenades. She's got grenades all up a belt. Did you notice that? I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Jesus really she's got, really got, into got a taste for blood. The power of Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, that is basically, this is the setup for the sequel, you know, ending montage. We're sold. We're not children. We're soldiers now. And then cut to credits. Um, uh, you know, it's it's good for what it is. You know, again, it's not, you can't expect to be getting something like the hunger games out of this, but uh I think it's a satisfying ending and uh, you, you get that big bridge explosion, which to me looks like that it was done. Uh, that's the one thing in this movie that's probably done to like Hollywood blockbuster standards. I'm guessing miniatures as well, based on what they do. Yeah. Kind of, it's a bit Dante's peaky with the bridge when it gets, <laughs> you know, oh, what are we doing Dante's peak? What a movie. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Like again, all I remember vividly the book, it's, it's all about this action sequence of destroying the bridge, but like got to put the plot hole here. Like I, as much as I enjoy this sequence, like one bridge will stop them from getting their supplies. They have planes and helicopters. That, like, you know what? That's like the, the the Dark Knight Rises. That's the biggest complaint people have the plot with that is that Bane basically takes Gotham hostage by cutting off the bridges. It's like, oh, nobody's ever going to be able to swim or boat or parachute in here. It needs to be like, um, I don't know how much you used to play the old Grand Theft Auto games, but before they, oh, yeah. like in like Liberty City or Vice City, to stop you from like going to certain parts of the islands, you had to do the missions. They would be like, oh, there's a terrorist threat on the other <laughs> islands of Liberty City. So it's like, if you try to swim, you get like automatically a six star, you know, wanted level and you get like shot on sight. Like that's what they need to explain. But yeah, I mean, I love this whole sequence. Again, like, the the invading Indonesia are so dumb here because, like, 
Like, I get this whole, like, oh, cows, like, put them across the bridge. Why are they scared of the cows? They have machine guns. Just like, I yeah, get it. Yeah, they should at least try to shoot. Yeah. I, I guess this is like a teenage book or a kid's movie. Like, literally, if this was real life, those Indonesians are going to be like, oh, fuck, honey, we've got cows. All right. Yeah. And like, all of them are just, because they're in a tiny confined space, massacre the shit out of those cows. And mm-hmm. then, what are those cows scary for? And oh, here's one other question I just had. So obviously kids book, like you said, they want to get the people off the bridge. You don't want to have them murdering a bunch of people. But in reality, wouldn't the best plan be don't even bother with the cows, just blow up the bridge and you're taking out half the soldiers with them? Yeah. And it's also like it's, it's again, the inconsistency here of what these soldiers are doing because they sneak up on this truck and then they then all of a sudden like, ah, we got caught. So they start driving. So then these soldiers are just slowly walking behind going, oh, they're moving. I didn't realize trucks do that. Um, and then like they start firing a couple of shots of like and this is where you need them to say like don't fire on it it will bl- you know it will blow it up but the next mm. minute when the other soldiers in the bridge they're full on shooting it now these are worse than stormtroopers if you cannot hit a gas truck like again i get why you're not going to blow these kids up you got to have the heroic moment i understand i'm really nitpicking here but it just it comes across as kind of dumb that they're kind of doing that. This is a country that has invaded Australia, has taken over to the point, and they can't even hit some children and some cows. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm well, offended yeah, I, as an Australian that we were being able to take it over so quickly by this mob. It's funny because I was saying, like, oh, it seems silly, but I actually kind of like the idea that they, the cows would stampede them off there. But then as soon as you brought up, they've got guns, I'm like, yeah, why didn't they at least try to shoot the cows? <laughs> I don't get why you have to get massacre these you, cows. You take out the front line of cows four cows the other cows aren't going to be jumping over them cows i've never seen cows jump and you know yeah so they, they stop it right here by just taking out a few cows white cows can't jump and like also <laughs> if this bridge is so important why are there just like three blokes with some guns standing there why isn't there a tank why isn't there a barricade why isn't well, we there saw sentries? that earlier the first time we saw the bridge it was in t- the entire thing was filled with vehicles and people and now it's nothing yeah i mean again nitpicking for nitpicking this is entertaining again this is a movie for what it is for Australia. Like, I mean, this is pretty good. This whole like last action sequence. I think the, I mean, we haven't really mentioned the chemistry between all these kids. That is fantastic. I think mm-hmm. like the acting from all is fantastic. The Robin bit with like, I'm Jesus. I won't kill him is a little bit on the nose, but like, I think Ashley Cummings does a fantastic job of sort of portraying this. And like there's a shot yeah. where she's kind of like a stunned mullet just standing there with the gun. I think it's fantastic. There's not a bad actor in this film and they all give it their all. I think it's fantastic the way they do that. So, um, yeah, heroic moment, explosion. Oh, no. Poor old uh, Corey's shot. Um, and we're going to, I guess, sacrifice our freedom. Um, but, yeah, like, I will say, like, of all the special effects and everything in this movie, the uh, terrible green screen at the end when they're standing on the cliff with their guns, yeah. like, the hero- that's a bit cheesy. <laughs> but I will say I love the um, the credits because, like, this is this is a really a blockbuster thing now, isn't it, for credits? Mainly the Marvel movies do this and the DC movies do it. They kind of do a really fancy, like, opening section of the credits with sort of almost like mm-hmm. animated sequences of the movies. Generally, we know in like a comic book movie, this would lead to a mid credit scene. Oh, yeah, the mummies, the mummy movies, I uh, one of the first ones to do that too. Well, well, I was going to say, look, I don't, this is 2010. I don't recall movies having this at that period in time. So this is kind of a, a, a rarity back then. We're so used to this type of credits now. But I love that. And I love this song uh, at the end, which I did Shazam it. I don't think this was a notable Australian singer, but he's somebody of prominence to get his song at the end of this movie um it is called tomorrow by huh, i thought i said nick chester nick sester 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe he's his cousin. Maybe. Uh, so, but yeah, I I, I kind of like this animated sequence. It's kind of cool. But I, I mean, I just wanted to touch on, I don't know if you had read or done the research or anything or, or that about what this was initially planned to be in terms of this yeah. clearly being open for a sequel. So initially I think the plan was, was to do a trilogy of the first three books and then do the remainder as a TV series. And then they mm. sort of talked about combining the next two books into a sequel for this and then jumping to the TV series. So there was always talks of what they initially wanted to do, but I think the original plan for this was to do a trilogy of films and then do the rest of the TV series. I just, I don't know why it didn't happen. I, I don't know if it was a box office disappointment compared to what they wanted or it just, it never got off the ground. So they never really, I think made it far with a sequel or anything. And when the T like, I think remember the TV series just came out of nowhere. Like I remember just all of a sudden going like, huh, what? And then I thought at that point, like, oh yay, this is the sequel, but it wasn't. The TV series was just basically this movie in six parts. Like it was so just, they, the they didn't, they didn't use the opportunity to start and, and this, and then maybe move on to I think, the well, other ones. Well, I think the plan was with what they were doing with the TV series, we'd get a second series and we can explore it more. Yeah. Um, I never got that. Cause no. So the, I mean, look, the only things I really remember about the TV series is the plot around the invasion, the, the main, because the main guy in that was a very big home and away guy. Funnily enough, he was sort of the main star of it and Deborah Mailman. And a weird thing that I remember, I've got a, a good friend of mine who's a singer and his song, so the, the bit where they're playing rugby in this movie, the, the Jet song, in the TV series, his song was used in that scene. And I remember texting him going, oh, my God, your song's on Tomorrow When the War Began. He's like, yeah, I know. They sold it to ABC the other week. I'm like, sweet. So, like, things like that I remember. But that's how memorable the TV series was. That they're the things. I've never rewatched it once it was on TV. I've got it. If you want it, I can send it to you. But, um, yeah, that was what they were meant to do. And, sadly, we've never got it. And with the books, I think, yeah, there's seven books and I think they did like the Ellie diaries or I'm pretty sure John Marsden wrote sort of like a spin-off to do with Ellie. And I don't know if that was like a prequel or a sequel, but uh, I'm Wendy sure. and Jeff Chronicles. Maybe. Yeah. So there's at least 10 books. I'd recommend like, I'd like to, after I've read all the Bond books, it sort of, it spurred me on to maybe going back and read. Cause I, I never read all of them. I only ever read like maybe the first two or three, but always, always enjoyed them. Uh, that's kind of the tricky thing when you get book series uh, as far as adapting them is that, you're running a risk one way or the other. You do it as a TV series. You can do a book per season, right? Like um, um, there's uh, Jack Reacher is a massive book series, one of the biggest book series here in North America. And then they did the Tom Cruise movies. And then now they've got the TV series where they'll just pick, okay, this is the book we're going to do for this season. And there's no way they're going to run for 25 seasons. So it's like, okay, we can pick and choose. But then when you get something like this, that is more of an ongoing thing or like the Hunger Games, you could do the first Hunger Games movie, but then if the first Hunger Games movie isn't a hit, you never get to finish it. You know, and I, that that was the problem that the, the Divergent series ran into, which that's a horrible series. Oh. <laughs> I recommend anybody watching it. I know you, Shailene Woodley, but oh, I can't Shailene. Uh, but uh, that that they decided during the era of splitting books, it was like a trilogy of novels. They did the first two. The first two were big hits. They split the third one into two, and then the third movie bombed to the point where they're like, well, there's no point in making a fourth movie now. But now you've left people with three out of four stories told and they said, well, maybe we'll do it on TV. And then they just did nothing at all. The, the one, and now just to confirm there are, yeah, there are seven books and they did three called the Ellie Chronicles, which is a sequel. So if you want to learn what happens mm -hmm. early after the books, um, it reminds me of um, uh, the Narnia books. Uh, yeah. I remember sort of growing up a lot on the Narnia books and having, I think the BBC did like some children. They did a mini series. Mini series yeah. of it, didn't they? So I remember watching them as a kid. So getting excited when like the Lion Witch in the Wardrobe and then what like the, 
Prince of Caspian, Prince Caspian and, and Dawn Treader or whatever. The Dawn Treader, yeah. Yeah, and then they never, because aren't they like four or five of them? The and they didn't. Well, there's like seven books there. I mean, but, but they're doing the a Narnia Netflix ones, series now, though, aren't they? Yeah. And again, like the Narnia series would be a good example because there's seven books, but like the first four are basically, you know, chronological stories. And then you kind of have two that are more sort of their own thing. And then you have a final one, which is sort of like taking elements of all the others. But it is very hard to finish something like that. Like you start a project, you can't just say we want to make the first one. Yeah. Then how are you going to guarantee that a movie series is going to be able to cover all this? True. And even a TV series, how do you guarantee you're going to Go- get seven seasons out of something? Golden Compass was another one, wasn't it? Weren't there more of that? that yeah. That yeah, and they only end up with one. One thing I just want to—I I forgot to add in this. So with the, I think it's the opening sequence when you've got Missy Higgins and she's driving through the town and you, she goes to the showgrounds. You see a shot of a Ferris wheel. And I think what the the famous, if you look at the original cover of Tomorrow When the War Began, the book, it's famously a picture of a Ferris wheel sort of next to a showground. So I kind of, I like the fact that they incorporate the Ferris wheel. Like it's a weird little, you know, visual aspect, can, which, yeah. I, I was, I was going to comment on the poster for this, ah, which is well, horrible. It, it is, is a terrible poster. Ugh, yeah. This looks like a Kill Bill Ben Waterworth yeah, made in yeah. college poster. <laughs> but if you look in the background, you do see the Ferris wheel behind an explosion oh, yeah. there. So even on the movie poster. Explosions. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's a, I'm glad you mentioned that. It is a horrible poster. <laughs> so, I mean, box office really, I guess, is the reason why there wasn't a sequel to this. Despite this being a, a big hit in Australia, I guess kind of an unusual uh instance where a movie can be a big hit in australia but not be good enough for a sequel like uh when we covered men with brooms years ago that was the first canadian film like fully canadian film that actually opened number one at the box office here and it wasn't enough to generate oh we're gonna do a sequel list now because like well it made its money and then that's fine uh and this comes out and it makes 16 and a half million dollars in its entire run in australia which is 10 million below the budget but you also have to look that's 30 percent below their budget and obviously the idea was we're going to have international distribution. When you take a movie like Mad Max, Mad Max was a low budget Australian movie, probably made his money back in Australia, but then it picked up all around the world and it makes millions and millions of dollars. So obviously you can get a big sequel. Uh, this didn't get it. In fact, I looked up the American box office. I don't have it open right now because I actually found the Australian one more interesting, but the American box office made something like $2,000 in its entire run <laughs> in America. $4,936. Yeah, like that. It's it's nothing. That that's I earned more uh, through um, our <laughs> Patreon, didn't I? Did I? I don't know. Yeah, well, and, and that's like oh, a four thousand dollar per screen average. That's pretty decent. That's a per screen average. Well, and this was like ah, in America, really? Fuck off. For what reason? I don't know. Because <laughs> one guy gets shot in the head and they say fuck once. Like seriously. But uh, Australian box office. I looked through the opening weekend. Now I had to go back because this opened September in 2010, which is basically, I'm guessing, like it is over here, when you start to dumping ground for lesser uh, movies. But this comes out, and this must have been a re-release weekend because it opened opposite Despicable Me, (laughs) and it beat Despicable Me. So I'm like, wow, is Despicable Me not a hit here? But then I look in the second week this was out, it beat Despicable Me, or Despicable Me Part 2 beat it, uh, or Despicable Me Part 1 beat it or something like that. So yeah, yeah, it was Despicable Me opened the second, then went to first place. But I think that this was like, I don't know, a re-release or something. Cause I don't know, maybe just me just wasn't a big of a hit, but it's still, it opened number one, three and a half million dollars. Uh, in comparison, I went back over previous weeks throughout the summer and three and a half million dollars would have been like, Oh, that's a decent opening for like a summer blockbuster. It wasn't the level of other movies like inception that came out this same year or, um, uh, even Salt, which uh, it kind of knocked off the number one spot, had kind of opened higher than this. But still, 
three and a half million dollars to me seems like it's like, oh, that's a decent summer movie opening. Or an Australian movie, yeah, hundred percent. And I think mm-hmm. like you look at all of our box offices, and that that's a solid opening weekend. And I think going back to my point about Australian movies, like yeah, it was very much promoted and everything, but I I think you never they never stick it. Like I I don't remember Australian movies where it's kind of like after that first week they're being talked about so much that everybody has to see them. You know, like mm-hmm. outside of the ones with the Hollywood connections. So I, I'm glad to see that this actually got nominated for some awards, particularly the um, Actor Awards, which I didn't realize it got nominated for so many. Actually won two, won Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Sound, and Ashley Cummings was nominated for uh, Young Actor. We have the Young Actor category at uh, our... What's the cutoff like for Young Actor? Like, you know, <laughs> Do you have Old Actor? You're old. <laughs> you get nominated for these. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad it got nominated for some awards. But uh, I think... So- I, I mean, I read, was it like the top 30? Uh, I, mean, I think we brought this up last time. Top 100 Australian films of all time, um, according to Screen Australia. And again, you got to look at this with a, you know, a grain of salt in terms of the ones that are real Hollywood Australian movies. So like obviously Crocodile Dundee, number one. But then you look at, say, Australia being number two. Babe, number three. When are we doing Babe? Um, something like Happy Feet. I mean, yeah, technically it's an Australian movie, but I mean, is it really an Australian movie? Yeah. Um, things like that. Like the dressmaker, for fuck's sake, apparently is Australian. But like, so this is 23rd overall, um, beating Young Einstein. Oh, Yahoo Serious. When's Yahoo Serious month coming, Colin? <laughs> get on to it. Um, and other like epic movies that people would probably be more familiar from an Australian perspective. Lantana, very big Australian movie. Gallipoli, I know you're a fan of that. Uh, the Piano. I thought that was a New Zealand movie. Uh, the Wog Boy, things like that. So it does all right. It's still nearly in the top 20 of all, all time still. Uh, so I don't think it's a failure. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 13.5 million for uh, its entire run in Australia, 3 million from other countries around the world. Uh, it made it the highest grossing domestic film in 2010, which I don't know, comparison uh, to other years, if this is you know up there for the highest grossing Australian films year by year. But uh, obviously the biggest for that year. So it was successful enough to, but again, when you sink $27 million into a Canadian or an Australian film, you're banking on, this is going to make money outside of, you know, domestic box office. And when it only made money in domestic box office, that basically killed the sequel from what I could read. Uh, Cause it looked like they were still going ahead with it. It was one of these things where for at least a year, it's like, oh yeah, we're planning to do it. And then it's like, well, no, we've, they've decided not to go ahead with that. I remember kept reading. Something. I remember always like looking in the news, like it was kind of like Googling like, oh, are they making the sequel? Are they making the sequel? Because also I think critically it, it did quite well. I don't think this ever was ripped apart by the, you know, the critics and most people were just kind of like, yeah, like, it, you know, and, and everyone's kind of always said it's a pretty, you know, accurate depiction of the book. Um, well, so. 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's actually not terrible for this type of film. Um, and, and also this being a little bit ahead of the game. And we, yeah, you mentioned Narnia and Harry Potter. That's what existed for young adult films at this time. And those were young adult fantasies. This genre of, you know, maybe dystopian uh, or slightly futuristic, but very real world based things like Hunger Games and the Maze Runner and Divergent, the you know, they runner. weren't things yet. I love the Maze Runner. The first one, oh, especially the Maze first one. I just, like, to be honest with you, like whenever I saw a trailer for those, I just like cringe because they just all ended up being the same looking film. Like I've, I've obviously never seen the Divergent in Shailene Woodley or not. Like just yeah. like you, you talk about Harry Potter. Like Harry Potter to me was the ones that were enough for me. Then we had all these other ones. But when did was the remake of Red Dawn wouldn't have been too far removed of this? 2012, I said. Yeah. Here, so. Yeah. So that would have been like two years later. So, I mean, and, and that, that oh, actually makes more sense. Lucas is in that. I didn't realize that. 
big Australian well, if you had, character. If you had this movie come out after the remake, I could see people having more of an issue with it. But like saying, oh, it's it's basically Red Dawn. I don't think the audience in 2010 who are going to be watching a movie like this were familiar with Red Dawn, you know? The poster uh, for Red Dawn might be worse than the poster for Tomorrow Never Die. Uh, oh, tomorrow, guaranteed. Tomorrow yes. Never Dies. Tomorrow When the War Began. I'm just <laughs> like looking at the post is Chris Hemsworth in a leather jacket uh, with other people behind it, which is actually interesting. Isabel Lucas, so she was a big Home and Away uh, actress as well, who I think did a couple of Hollywood movies, but her and Chris Hemsworth's character on that show, I think at one point hooked up. So good to see them like hanging together um let, let's go through one review here the only one i actually find on here mark fennel of triple j oh, said that, j, uh, the movie that has crap. patchy acting fantastic action and some great slivers of humor in a movie that only gives off the faintest whiff of a xenophobic nation terrified of being invaded that sums up triple j in a <laughs> sentence right there fuck off um Oh, you got Ma. Oh, hang on, minutes. Don't skip over Margaret Pomerantz, legend in this okay, country you, of film. She's you, you a Roger th- Ebert of Australian movie reviews. You go through there, and then I'll look up a one-star review on IMDb. So Margaret, Queen Margaret, her and uh, David, uh, just the king and queen of movie reviews in this country. She wrote that Stuart Beatty handles the action well. I think he's less adept at handling the development of character, but I'm sure the numerous fans of the books will be satisfied with the movie. Yeah, yeah. You tell her, Margaret. Uh, there's a lot of the one star ones that are saying like uh, worst movie I've ever seen and stuff like that. This one just has me uh, intrigued because Mr. Jordan wrote, OMG, did you kiss him? That's what this film is about. <laughs> uh, the review base says, let me give a couple things in here. Uh, take a few good looking oversex teenagers with crushes on each other. Typical teen drama, AKA Beverly Hills, 920 Dawson's Creek mixed in a storyline from the 1984 film Red Dawn and you got yourself a moneymaker. But yeah, this guy obviously had some of the same problems that uh, I had with this. Um, I love this one. Go see a cartoon instead by Sakura. Starts off with, let me start off by admitting that I did not watch the full movie. All right, well, your review is obviously very valid then. (laughs) The other one, bloody ripper, mate. One star review by lol10 lol10. What? Okay. It, I look at that, it's bloody awful. <laughs> That's not a bad accent. <laughs> that is the most most Australian review. Damn, I've ever I seen. should have done my homework before watching these Aussies can't make a decent a descent film. Oh my god. Even if they I, try. I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine how Australian this person is. I'm I, I don't even understand what all they're saying, but Crikey, mate, what a beauty, a fair dinkum skippy show. All it really needed was a few bush kangaroos, a slab of VB beer. Few shrimps on the bobby. Well, you get the drift. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, uh, bloody awful. <laughs> that's a very accurate Australian uh, sentence there. Um, oh, that guy's great. Um, yeah. Plot keywords. Uh, nothing really jumping on me. Woman wears a bra and panties month. Oh, uh, I'm sure we've gone through this before. <laughs> true, true lies. American Psycho. Pretty Woman. Uh, and Chained. We'll be covering one of those movies this year. Oh. Um, Death of a Father month. Shot Fighter Jet month. month. Child's point of view month. Oh, I'm on board. Child's I think point- it's a child porn pornography. <laughs> child's point of view month. Shazam, Jurassic Park, The Black Phone, and Matilda. Oh, I like Matilda. I've never uh, seen Camp The Black Fire Phone. month. Uh, binoculars month. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Binoculars month. We could be talking about Tar. We already did. Top Gun Maverick. We already did. Fall. That's actually a good movie. And Narcos. Oh, that's um Pedro Pascal. Well, I, I'm I'm almost up for binoculars month. What about uh, but, uh, cow month? Uh, <laughs> Twister better be on this. Uh, X is number one. <laughs> Pearl is number two. Chernobyl is number three, and the Woman King is number four. Um, 
what are you going to do with this movie? Uh, I, I don't know whether I, I'm I'm up in the air on what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go first. Uh, I'm buying it. I, I like I I think I kind of was disappointed in myself that it's been probably like ten years since I've seen this movie because it's. I think at the end of the day. You know, I remembered walking out of the movie going like, wow, I really liked that and I wanted to see more. And I think this was definitely a book series of growing up that I'd always wanted to see turned into a, a film or a, a TV series. And I think, I, I don't know if brave is the right word, but it was, maybe it is. Brave is the right word for Australian film to make a movie like this on a, you know, a book series like this. So they tried it and sadly we didn't sort of get a series out of it. Uh, maybe they needed to wait a couple of years when the young adult craze was a little bit bigger and yeah. maybe we would have gotten more. Obviously, they tried again with the TV series, so clearly there's enough people in this country wanting to try this into something, so I applaud them for that. And I could, you know, re-watching this last night, I was like, look, that's enjoyable. I can put that on and enjoy it. I don't think it's boring. It goes by quickly. Um, it's well acted. It's got some good action in it. Yeah, there's some issues with it, but, I mean, you know, when have we ever done an absolute perfect movie besides Jurassic Park? So... Yeah, I think it's a buy for me, and I think it's an enjoyable film that I should watch more. See, I'm leaning towards a very strong rent because I mean, there, the the movie almost makes me want more in two ways. One, it makes me want more because I'm like, ah, oh, I wish they'd just gone a little bit more into this. I wish that they'd done a little bit more with this. It, it is very bare bones, but you have to again look at it through the point of view of Australian Canadian movies aren't going to be able to do everything you know uh, budget wise that uh, an American movie or even. You know, a British film might be able to do. Um, the other part being that it, it had me wanting more because I'm like, there's something here that's, it's, it's, like I said, it's a good start, starting off point. And there have been plenty of times where I've seen a movie and ne- haven't necessarily been like going crazy for the movie, but I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I'd kind of be interested in a sequel for this. Like The Old Guard, that Charlize Theron one we did, the, old, the, the first pandemic yeah, movie that was on that. Netflix. It was like, well, that's kind of a forgettable movie, but I'm like, but I'd be curious about a sequel. Uh, so in a weird way, I, I'm willing to bump mine up from a strong rent to a low buy yeah. just because I kind of want to check out the books. I want to find out more about the story. And it, you should. I don't think you ha- Yeah, you don't have to have had a sequel for this to have done its job. If if the if the point of this movie was to start a franchise, it doesn't matter if you did. It's frustrating you didn't get to start a franchise, but you still you hooked me in. You got me interested. So I'll go with a low buy. And it ages well. I think like this yeah. this movie's 13 years old at the time of recording this. It it doesn't feel I mean remember like in 2010 if you watched a movie from 1997 it kind of felt a bit dated by mm-hmm. then didn't it whereas I feel like this is 13 oh. years later and this doesn't really feel dated. I mean yeah okay you've got a bit of a hey remember we're terrible we invaded this country sort of moment but I mean all movies have little moments where you can kind of be that way but um look at their faces they're all the same moments. Exactly. <laughs> so like I think that yeah and like I 100% want to go back and read these books because it is sort of a thing that I, I never finished them. Um, and they're pretty simple books to read. They're young adult. So, you know, they're not as complex as those James Bond novels I'm reading at the moment. So I recommend it, Colin. Go read them. Read the books. Uh, uh, I, I'm just going through the top 10 highest grossing films of 2010. And there's several movies in here that also don't age well in only 13 years. They probably age worse. This like Avatar, uh, Alice in Wonderland, uh, Iron Man 2, Twilight Eclipse. Oh, um, should have mentioned them before, shouldn't we, with the old young adult thing. Sorry, Twilight fans. Cla- Clash of the Titans, that aged well. The Last Airbender. Uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, it really hasn't aged that We poorly. don't really, I, uh, you know how we we always talk about like sort of the nostalgia trip and we're sort of slowly getting into the early 2000s now because it's that 20, pe- mm-hmm. 20 year period. Again, the 2010s and early, like particularly early 2010s, like what cinema do we have to celebrate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's not, you know, 
It's going to be one of the things like how the 80s, I think, was derived so much as having shit cinema, but now everybody celebrates it. Like, are we yeah. going to have that? You need, like, the next ge- you need a new generation to get introduced to it. The Last Airbender, what a classic. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there are movies like that where at the time they come out, people are like, well, this movie's garbage. Like, a lot of the movies that are becoming popular now, like, let's take the Star Wars, Star Wars prequels. People at the time weren't crazy about them. And then the, the kids who weren't as judgy and not looking to nitpick everything that grew up on them are like, hey, these movies are oh, great. No. And even... That means the Even sequels older- are going to be liked in like 20 years' time. No! Well, I mean, I, I think you also have to have an audience of the time period that's into them. And I think most, even most kids now who watch the sequels probably still prefer like the prequels. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll get there one. Maybe one day tomorrow when the world began after tomorrow. The day after uh, tomorrow when the war Batman begins. Tomorrow when the sweet hereafter began. Uh, <laughs> kids connection in the hall. Kids in the hall, yes. Uh, which brings us to next week. The Kids in the Hall, Brain Candy, the first Canadian film. Uh, and uh, th- this is one that I have wanted to do for a while, but kind of held off because the Kids in the Hall revival series I knew was in the works. And that came out last year and has gotten really big. I mean, even outside of Canada, the, the, a lot of people watching this and a lot of attention on the Kids in the Hall again. So now it seems like a good time to do it. Um, what's interesting about this is that I've only watched this movie all the way through once. When it first came out, I was very young. Um, I still watch the kids in the hall. I'll go back and rewatch the kids in the hall TV series every couple of years, but I never revisit brain candy. And it was last year, probably around the time, or, or, um, I don't know if we did Australia Canada month last year, but around the time we were looking at, Oh, will we do this again this year? I'm like, Oh, I'm going to start rewatching brain candy to see if this movie even holds up. And it actually held up better than I thought it did. Cause it sort of has this reputation even among the kids in the hall. It's like, Oh yeah, that didn't quite turn out the way we expected, but it is bizarre. Like it, Imagine movie 43, but even weirder. Um, Maybe not as grotesque at times, uh, but uh, there is a style of comedy with the kids in the hall that is is definitely an acquired taste. I know Canadians who absolutely love it. I know Canadians who just don't get it. Uh, I got people in my family who love this and people in my family who just don't get it. So I'm going to love this or hate it, it, basically. I want to send you a couple of kids in the hall sketches to kind of get you familiarized with them. Uh, but there is one that uh, the, their new TV series opens with basically them taking jokes about kids in the hall brain candy. Like, so it is a movie that is very remembered, even if nobody saw it when it came out and kind of surprised a lot of people. I have absolutely no idea what to expect because I've never seen anything. I always got this confused. I thought, I know you've told a few shows to watch and I know there was one when I was living there that I watched a few episodes of. Uh, gas. Yeah, that one, which is sort yeah. of a few episodes in, I was kind of like, okay, like I'm slowly getting this. This isn't, this isn't bad. Um, so I always thought like this was that or that was this and I don't know. Kids in the Hall is sketch comedy. It is Canada's Monty Python, which is I think right. where okay. the movie was a little bit weird because it is one storyline for two hours, but the same five guys play almost every character in the movie. So each actor is playing like three, four Brendan characters. Brendan Fraser? And, and, and say he's and, and we get a scene with Brendan Fraser, which I completely forgot about. Which, again, like I, I, I found it. I've got it now, ready to go. Um, So yeah, I have, I have no expectations. Literally the two Canadian movies we're doing this month, I have nothing to think. I don't think any Canadian movie we've ever done, I've ever had any expectations going in. I think maybe mm-hmm. Good Cop, Bon Cop, Bad Cop, whatever it was. Cause like, yeah, I think I, you'd seen that before, hadn't you? I think I had watched it with, I think, she should not be mentioned and i watched it before yeah. we ever did it um but yeah i i am looking forward to it i always like and i'm hosting it too so yeah. I, we've sort of uh, done this so um yeah I'm, I'm usually a fan of kids in the hall but uh, in a different way so um 
These jokes are really hilarious, aren't they? <laughs> Just so good. Uh, then we'll have another Australian movie called Australia after that, and another Canadian movie called The Canada. Day After the Sweet Year After the War Began. <laughs> with, with, uh, <laughs> when's it just going to be a movie called Canada? Baz yeah. Luhrmann's you know, epic actually, sequel to Australia. I'm excited because there's a, a movie which I'm sure, if it turns out to be any good, we can cover next year. Uh, and this is getting a big wide theatrical release here. The Blackberry film, a Canadian movie that's coming out about in a couple Blackberry months here. Blackberry phones? Yeah, about the creation of the BlackBerry oh. phone. Uh, wow. That's, getting, that's actually getting a pretty big Why is it Canadian? Well, because BlackBerry is a Canadian company. Is it? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so in a year we've got Tetris, the creation yeah. of the greatest video game. A year we've got the Air, creation of the Air Jordans. We've got the Canadian iPhone that failed. BlackBerry. <laughs> I didn't know they were Canadian. That makes sense why they oh, failed. Oh, yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> They're the Maple Leafs now. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that'll be next year. But we still got 24 going on right now and uh, sure some other movie reviews scattered throughout the Who's month. in it? Who's in the Blackberry movie? <laughs> I mean- Jay, well, you, you know you know Jay Baruchel. He's, uh, he was in that Nicolas Cage Source of Apprentice movie. He's in like all of the um, Judd Apatow movies. Oh, um, Carrie Yules is in it. Get on board. Yeah, Jonas is uh, in it. <laughs> Tropic, uh, Jay Baruchel was in Tropic Thunder. Uh, Michael Ironside. You'd know Michael oh, yeah. Ironside if you looked at him. Saul Rubinick, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to be getting a wide theatrical release here, and it's actually oh. got it's currently hundred uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow, Michael Ironside's so, uh, Starship Troopers, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll maybe we'll pick that up for next. What year. are we doing, but, Starship uh, Troopers? What a movie! You know, how would we fit that in with a month? Like uh, that and the Fifth Element would go Casper, together very well. Uh, what's his face month? Casper Van Dien month. <laughs> well, he did a Tarzan movie. That would be fun. Um, I don't know. We could just do forgotten movies that are good month, like <laughs> Starship Troopers. I mean, that's a great movie. And no one ever talks yeah, oh. about how good that movie and, is. And Anthony Reeve of ours in that movie. I've interviewed him. And that's a movie that I feel like it, it probably is more appreciated now than it was when it first came out. People were like, whoa, what a garbage movie. Would you that's like one of those examples. <laughs> yeah. But that's one of those examples of now True. people look back and they're like, well, that my, movie was actually oh, pretty good. I remember. Yeah. I do remember when it came out. My dad and I used to watch it religion. And that, look, I. I'm generally okay when it comes to watching movies and not feeling queasy, but that movie makes me feel very queasy with the amount of limbs Starship and Rivers? well, the amount of limbs that are getting hacked off and like oh, oh there's lots of gore in it's, that movie that's kind of it's laughed done off. very cartoony though. But it's just I don't know. There's always something like I've you know I've watched like the first two Saw movies and every now and then I'll just go onto YouTube and type in Saw deaths because they're just funny if anything or Final Destination deaths. But like this, I one, really want you to check out John Wick. Then that's got the most epic death scenes you'll ever. I see. just, I just, uh, there's just something about Starship Troopers. That every time I watch it, I feel queasy. So yeah. Anyway, Starship Troopers coming in 2029. Yeah. We'll get there. Uh, 24 in the meantime, and um, next week, Kids in the Hall, Brain Candy, um, and this TV series somewhere down the road uh, next year. Maybe we'll do Canadian versus Australia TV month. Uh, my name is Colin. <laughs> hey, I'm catching up on Neighbours, maybe. To every uh, <laughs> 6,000 episodes of Neighbours. Today we start with episode one. Uh, my name is Colin, and we might as well shoot each other now and get it over with. And my name is Ben, and how funny are dogs? Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. 
And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.